friends and fellow Buffy lovers, and welcome to our podcast, where we discuss each episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer in detail, focusing on digging deep into the themes, metaphors, and foreshadowing. I'm Leah. I'm Sarah. I'm Tabby. And this is Becoming Buffy. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. Man, it feels so long since we've actually recorded an episode and talked. I think it's been, you know, a month or so. And I'm so ready to get back into it. But I will be honest, this is not the episode (laughs) that I'm excited to get back into. And I'm sure most everybody agrees, but we are going to, we're going to deal, what is it? We're going to deal with the hand that we've been dealt, the cards that we've been dealt. How's that go? The hand that we've been dealt. You said it right the first time. (laughs) Yeah. You did. can tell we've been out of uh, practice. No, I don't know what you guys are talking about. I love this episode, so I'm excited to talk tell about me, it. We can hear the lies in your voice. <laughs> <laughs> no, guys, I'm going I'm to be real. Or as Leah says, to be fair, um, <laughs> Leah says that in the starting of every sentence. Now you guys are going to hear it. As I just like to listeners. play devil's advocate and give everyone's benefit of the doubt, okay? Yeah, but everybody knows when you really hate something because then there's like this huge pot. So you're like, guys. And then we're like, oh, here it comes. <laughs> okay, but I feel like I'm pretty. There's two different ways. There's the to be fair and then there's the to be fair. There's two yeah. different ways. You or can tell or which there's one. the whole. Well, okay. I still try and give them the benefit of the doubt, even if I don't like them. Okay, Leah. So what's okay. redeeming about this episode? Let me hear it. What's redeeming about this episode? Yeah. There's some funny parts. Okay. okay. I'd like to take the reins for this one because okay, I've been ahead. notorious by absolutely hating this episode. Like, okay. And here's the thing. That is true. I love, love, love Jaws. I have like a graphic tee of Jaws. Which is so funny because I hate the ocean, but I think oh, the movie's Joss. really great. Not Joss Whedon. <laughs> yeah. No, sorry. I was really confused for a second. <laughs> Jaws. J A W S. The movie Jaws. The movie. With Definitely the shark. not the person. The opening scene reminds me of Jaws, and they did that on purpose, especially with like mm-hmm. the flailed skin. They did that mm-hmm. in Jaws as well, in the opening scene. So I think that I like the vibe that it starts off with, and then it takes a completely different direction. They have a couple little like nods to Jaws as well. Um, I okay. I think what Buffy does best as a show is when they take issues, especially sexist ones, and then they expose it. I think this episode went way too much so without really giving us much of a, oh, dang, yay, she kicked them in the butt at the end. Like, I feel like there was a lot more of just, like, undertones. And I feel like Mm -hmm. undertones, when not dealt with, can be kind of, like, frustrating. Um, And we'll get to them when we go there. And I feel like some of them are kind of, like, brushed past. Because here's the thing. You can be sexist in in an episode when it's painted as a bad thing. Um, and I think sometimes some things were not handled very well, in my opinion. That's not my least favorite part of the episode. I think it's just kind of viewing that. But I will say, I like, I just, I can't stand the idea and or how it is executed in a lot of part of this episode. This is like literally one of my top five least favorite Buffy episodes. But having to rewatch it for the podcast, since I've seen it like very, very, very little times, there were some really sweet aka really funny moments that i have like barely seen which made it somewhat worthwhile to watch 
Yeah. And before we go any further, this is a trigger warning for you guys. We will be talking about sexual assault in this episode and rape. Um, and I mean, I think we're just going to throw up a trigger warning for the rest of our episodes from here on out. You know, when talking about Buffy, these issues do come up. So if this is something that you feel like you're a little bit more sensitive to, feel free to go ahead and skip this episode. We totally understand. Um, but we're just going to put that on here moving forward. Also, this is the spoiler-free section. We have our spoiler section coming up later. If you've not seen the rest of Buffy, you're in a safe space. We will hopefully try not to spoil anything, <laughs> Leah. Uh, also, you guys can find us on our Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can also email us at becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. Um, and we have an exciting announcement coming up. So we are planning on the 21st. Yep. Oh, dang, Leah. Mine like Thank a steel you. trap. I've come back a change, man. <laughs> I'm so proud of you. That month off really did me some good, man. Um, I'm just but, kidding. Don't keep your hopes up. Long. I'm going to keep my expectations low. Um, Thank goodness. No, but normally, you know, we do when it comes to a two-parter finale or a two-parter anything, we will do the spoiler section for both of the – or the spoiler-free section for both of those episodes and then do a combined spoiler section. Um, and this time, we decided we would include all of you guys with that spoiler section. So on August 21st, we're planning to do a live spoiler analysis, and you guys are all invited to come, and we will give more information on that later. But basically, we're going to have it where you guys can ask questions or give or we'll ask questions and you come jump on and we'll have you actually, if you have a microphone and a headset, you can come jump on and give your input too. And it'll be really fun. I'm excited to like kind of discuss yep. everything about this iconic finale. So that'll be coming up August 21st. We'll give um, times later on, but just you can mark your calendars for that. It'll be a finale or, you know, in other words, a birthday party for me and Tabby. <laughs> uh, whatever you guys want to call it. <laughs> Leah's like, my That's going to be like three weeks after <laughs> our birthdays. <laughs> Shh, it's in August. I'm a Leo. Um, <laughs> just Leah's a Leo. <laughs> yeah, just me. <laughs> no, but we'll definitely keep you guys up to date on that. I'm really excited. It, we're always looking for new ways to include you guys into the dialogue. And I mean, the whole point of making this podcast is, hey, let's talk about Buffy and let's find other people who love talking about Buffy too. And so this is just another way that we can do that. But all right, let's move on because this episode is going to be kind of a bear to get through, but I think we have some good things to talk about. So go fish. Season two, episode 20, written by David Fury and Ellen Hampton, which fun fact, Ellen Hampton is actually David Fury's wife. So their husband, wife writing duo. Directed by David Semmel, aired May 5th, 1998. And David Fury would go on to co-produce Buffy later on down the line and write several more episodes. All right, Marty Noxon has said in several interviews that this episode was written to show how steroids ruin athletes' bodies. It was originally supposed to be placed before Angel lost his soul, which is why Angelus is barely in it, and he kind of seems like an afterthought. Um, this is also the last time the opening prologue is used in the series, which is kind of sad. It's the end of an era. Did you guys know that? Because I did not know that before. You know what's actually funny is – when I clicked back onto the episode, because it's been so long since we've watched one, and then the prologue started, I literally was like, oh, I forgot that this was still in here. Like, that was my I first I said the same thing. Like, oh, funny. Like, I literally forgot that it's – I forget that it's in season two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like, 
as a whole because season two it just feels a little unnecessary because it's like we know who Buffy is at this yeah. point. Like, we know what the Slayer is at this point. Um, but that is interesting that it's the last time. My guess is they probably were like, we need as much time as we can possibly get in each episode. And as we go forward, I mean, the two finales and all of season three are just so dense. They were like, we need every extra spare second that we can get. So my guess is they removed the opening prologue for time reasons, as well as what you mentioned too, as well, Leah. Um, So for David Fury and his wife, it was their take of Creature of the Black Lagoon, the gill man who falls in love with one of the women on the expedition inside the movie. Um, all right. So I'm going to talk about David Fury a little bit. He executive produced The Tick. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of that show. He also um, produced 24, Live Another Day, 24, the original show. Co-produced Lost with J.J. Abrams, actually wrote a couple of episodes probably more than a couple episodes, um, Magnum P.I. and others. He originally met with Joss when Joss was discussing starting Buffy and was also hired at the same time to do a different sitcom. Um, both him and his wife were very eager and loved the idea of Buffy and actually wanted to do it, but their agent warned them against it since Buffy's initial order was only for six episodes and there was no future in it versus the other sitcom seemed like it was going to take off. Um, they went against their better judgment and trusted the agent's judgment and took the other job, but it was canceled after only 18 episodes. So then they fired their agent and requested a new agent and said, hey, we want to get on Buffy. So the agent talked to Joss and he said, near the start of season two, they went in to meet Joss and David Greenwall, and they pitched them a few ideas for a possible freelance standalone story. And Joss bought the first one, which was this episode, Go Fish. Joss and David were so happy with the first draft that came in that after an offer was made for us to come on as producers the following season, we were elated by their effusive response and offer. Which... Even David Fury kind of pokes fun at the script. He's like, yeah, for some reason, this is the one they were like, woo, yeah, you're the person we want to get in, which I think is funny because the first script, if you guys remember, that Marty Noxon submitted was Bad Eggs. So it's so funny that like two of the episodes, the more like the weaker episodes of season two were the ones that got their writers producer jobs, which is just mind blowing to me. Um, in this interview from The Watcher's Diaries, David Fury talks about 24 and all the spinoffs and revivals. And I thought this was really interesting in like concerning Buffy. He says, as for reboots and multi-season runs, I have kind of a minority opinion on that. I don't believe any series should go beyond five seasons, six or seven if it's really exceptional and episode count is minimal. I fall in love with shows too, but I'd rather see them end in their prime than drag out with diminishing returns. I miss Buffy, but to try to revive it or reboot it would only lead to disappointment. I believe every new film set in the Star Wars universe will diminish the specialness of that series. I get it. No matter how much we get, we want more, which is why J.K. Rowling is putting out new books in the Harry Potter universe. I wish she wouldn't. I wish limited series and movies could be allowed to harden into cherished jewels of memory untarnished by futile efforts to recreate the magic. But then I'm only a capitalist up to a point, which I thought was a really interesting and I think a really well said point. Um, for me personally, like there's been echoes of a Buffy reboot revival for like so long now and there's been major backlash of fans saying no we don't want a reboot or at least we want to maybe a continuation of some of the stories or like 
bring in other slayers, but a lot of fans don't want to see a new Buffy because we love the show so much. And I love that some of the writers are even like, hey, like, let's leave Buffy alone. We love it so much. Let's give it time to kind of like, you know, like, let's not tarnish it. You know, what do you guys think? I'm not opposed to doing a new Slayer just because like, I think that there's a lot of stuff you can do um, better when it comes like metaphorically nowadays. Sometimes I think it was a little bit lackluster. Some of them were. Um, and the earlier seasons, I think it got a little bit better towards like the middle-ish of the show. And I think sometimes they can be a little bit more aware of some things that could be a little bit like sensitive that maybe the 90s wasn't able to do or should have done. Um, yeah. But I mm-hmm. also think <sighs> – I don't know if this is going to be pissing people off, but I think sometimes what, – okay, what made Buffy a cult classic and a phenomenon is that they had so much power and flexibility in creating something. And I think mm-hmm. that nowadays – nowadays a lot of shows aren't very deep. A lot of them. Not all of them. Like Queen's Gambit is like amazing. There's a lot of like – metaphors in that show it is so so good but i think the what makes it so good and i kind of agree with what the quote you were saying um i agree that like i like that shows nowadays have more condensed smaller seasons but like longer episodes and i think that you can really Mm -hmm. make the episodes really really good um in a shorter capacity Mm -hmm. and i think sometimes we have filler episodes like go fish and buffy where i'm like "Mm, could have done without what that one um and i think that it makes me nervous to kind of go back into that world when they did such a good job when it came to metaphors, but they had opportunities to really create art because they didn't have as many people breathing down their neck. Where I feel like nowadays, I don't know if it'll be on the same caliber. I want to believe that they would just because when they talked about the reboot a couple of years ago, the girl said that... um I think it was the director. I don't, I think she was the director or the writer. I'm not sure. She said that she like grew up on Buffy and she loved Buffy and she wanted to kind of tackle it in the same sort of metaphoric mm-hmm. way. And so that gives me a little bit more of a hope, but I'm also just like, but I just highly, I've never seen a reboot and or just continuation over a period of time that even closely matches up. If they do, I don't want it to be Buffy. I want it to be like, a slayer in the 70s or like a slayer now or just like something that's someone who's not Buffy. Yeah, I mean, I I agree with both of you, obviously. I think my biggest thing is they can do anything that they want. Like they can create another show surrounded by a completely different slayer, whether in the future, in the past or whatever it is. My biggest thing is don't touch Buffy. Mm -hmm. You can do whatever you want in the future or the past. Like, it can be whoever you want. The storyline can be whatever you want. It can be a good show. It can be a bad show. And I'll try it and I'll watch it out, but just don't touch Buffy. Yeah. I heard someone describe Buffy, like, the way it was written and how it was set up and stuff as it's a show literally run by the writers. The writers had so much room to work with. They were able to tell stories and tell them in a way that was so raw and unfiltered. Um, And it wasn't – uh, they weren't kind of like – there wasn't the shadow of the network over them being like, well, make sure you do this or you add this in and stuff like that. Um, And so I think they had so much more freedom. I think that's what you were kind of talking a little bit about, Tabby. Um, just in, they were able to do so much more. 
And I think we're seeing that a little bit more with the rise of, you know, Netflix, Disney Plus, Hulu, Amazon being able to create their shows and not really having like networks. I mean, obviously you're still going to have the does it make money, but you don't have to worry so much about like you have to have a specific number of episodes and stuff like the 22. You can do as many episodes as you feel like your story needs. And so we're starting to see tighter, more um, meatier shows because you don't have all these stupid filler episodes because we have to fit 22 seemingly random stories together, you know? So I think that there is a chance that the right person came around. The hard part is that, you know, I think all of us would want, okay, I don't don't know if we would want, but in an ideal world, if Joss was a good guy, we'd want Joss to take the helm again because he's the one that came up these stories and, and stuff. But because of everything that we know now about Joss, I don't think anybody wants him to take over the storytelling anymore. And I don't think he should, honestly. I think it would need to be someone else. And so in a lot of ways, it, it just kind of feels like, you know, we'll never actually get to have maybe a really actually decent read. I mean, ideally, I would love to have a girl like direct it. I wasn't upset at the fact that it was a girl and someone who like loved Buffy. I just am always skeptical. Sure. I'm like, first of all, it can't be Buffy. It has to be someone else. It's hard. It really is. It's kind of like, okay, it'd have to be something that was a completely different set of characters set maybe within the Buffy verse. You know, I would be okay with that, but I just don't want to see another Buffy. And the hard part too is not just Buffy. Like Sarah Michelle Gellar like really embodies Buffy to me like no one else is Buffy but also like no one could do Willow like Allison Hannigan maybe someone could do Xander just because I feel like not not (laughs) Nicholas Brennan is a a brilliant actor but I think Xander's not very not as three-dimensional he seems a very like um typical character in these situations he's supposed to be the more human character I think he's not necessarily Amy at least right now as three-dimensional as some other characters like Giles like no one could do Giles like Anthony Stewart head you know like there's just so many characters where I'm like I just you guys are these characters to me like no one else yeah. can do that yeah Buffy was lightning in a bottle and it'd be very very hard to recreate that and if it did it would be something different mm-hmm. you know and that's the point if we're gonna do a, a reboot it has to be somewhat different you know but then at that point there's no point in doing the reboot like let's just tell new stories you know so um David Fury goes on to talk about the impact that Buffy has had like on fans and in his life. He said, I'm always incredibly humbled and moved when fans tell me how much Buffy meant to them. Their stories are sometimes staggering, telling me how bullied or abused they were as children, how difficult it was when their parents split up, and how Buffy made them feel somehow empowered or just took them away from their lives for an hour every week. We, the writers and actors, all came to realize the responsibility we had to say something hopeful about relationships, about life. I also meet so many people who became inspired to become writers from the work we did, not unlike how the writers of Twilight Zone and Star Trek inspired me. And I think that's really special. Um, The idea behind Go Fish is that the real villain is not necessarily the boys or fish monsters, but the win-at-all-costs system. The boys learn that their only value is in their performance or who they are on the outside, and so the metaphor of them turning into fish monsters and shedding their skin is representative of them fully embracing that. They lose every other attribute and what makes them unique in an attempt to be valued, and the steroids is just another layer on top of that. 
athletes destroying their bodies to be valued and accepted because society has told them that is their value. In the end, they lose out because the world and system tells them that their talent is more important than academics, lasting, deep relationships, and in this specific case in this episode, like a girl's reputation or Buffy's reputation. Um, there's also a deeper metaphor here. Like steroids is obviously a stand-in for pride and arrogance. It is Cameron's arrogance that leads him to try to assault Buffy, believing that she is into him because of how talented he is. Like, why wouldn't she not be into him? Everybody else is always telling him, like, he's the bee's knees because he can swim. And so there's this sense that, like, um, they feel entitled to anything they want, including women in their bodies. Um Although this episode definitely does have some problematic moments, it's also commentary on the culture of misogyny that can and often does surround successful athletes, kind of like Reptile Boy, um, because these boys are winners, which really kind of like he kept repeating winners. And I was like, who does that remind you of? <laughs> they are often coddled and protected from the consequences of their actions. The special treatment leads them to feel entitled to anything they want, including women. But I don't know. What did you guys think about the metaphors of this episode? Did you kind of get that same thing or were you thinking something different? Um, I mean, I was thinking the same thing. I think it's just more so of like the fact of like I I like that they were trying to touch on certain subjects. I think that especially regarding sexual assault with Buffy, it was kind of grazed off so quickly. So it's like, okay, if you're going to put that in an episode, you know, talking about, you know, sexual assault and men's boosted egos in school systems and how it is just shrugged under the rug, then really go there. Like, really talk about it. But I really just felt like it deserved more than a passing mm -hmm. sentence in the episode. You know, we talked more yep. about the steroids than we did about Buffy's, uh, like, attempted sexual assault. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Which kind of makes me mad because it's like, why even put the sexual assault, like, a s attempted sexual assault in there if you're not going to give it the time of day it deserves and the attention that it needs. Mm -hmm. We've seen that a couple times too already. And so I think like it just kind of yep. frustrates me. Like and I I tend to naturally gravitate towards 90s and 2000s like television and movies just cuz I feel like I just love the vibe of it. But then sometimes I'm just like, ugh, like that's not a light thing. And I understand that back then it was like that was a lot for them to even talk about it. And even mm -hmm. them, like, even bringing yeah. up the whole, like, the guy's victim blaming her was a a thing mm -hmm. that people – that was normal. Like, I know that this is revolutionary yeah. for them to even talk about, like, the whole, like, oh, what were you wearing? You know, like, you tempt me with, like, how you – you know, whatever. Like, that was a normal thing the guy said. And I know the show was doing it on purpose to expose it, but they just barely even did that. And so it's a little bit frustrating. Right. And it's something that I think I have to kind of like, okay, look at the show through the eyes of the 90s. You know, that was, like you said, hugely groundbreaking for them to even be talking about this kind of stuff. Um, but here we are in 2021 and we're going, that's not enough anymore. It, and we've talked about this in past episodes. It's not enough to just talk about something and say, oh, look at this. This is wrong. Like, no, you have to go one step further now. Like, show us the opposite. Show us one, one, the consequences of that, and two, show us how to heal and move on from that and give us like a good example of that. And so I think they were a stepping stone to where we are now, but it's frustrating to look back and be like, okay, you can do more. Like this isn't enough anymore. Like we need to move past that. So yeah, I have to remember, okay, this is the 90s. This was like huge for that time, you know, but it still is frustrating. 
All right, so we open on the beach. The music is Man's Chinese by the band Naked. There are a bunch of teens hanging out at a bonfire party at the beach. Xander, Cordy, and Willow are next to the fire, and Cordy is in a wool coat, which is hilarious for a bonfire party. But I bet Charisma Carpenter was very excited about that wardrobe choice because the beach is very cold in California. <laughs> well, that, and it definitely makes sense for Cordelia's character to be like, I don't care if we're at a beach, I'm going to look hot. Well, I was about to say, I was like, I've noticed, and I'm, I have some beef with this. Why do they always put Charisma Carpenter in like teacher esque clothes? She always looks so out of place compared to like next to Buffy sometimes. And I'm like, what is happening? I know she's older and she's supposed to be fashionista, but like Buffy's also really fashionable, but she looks like high school clothes like sometimes she comes in like straight up slacks and i'm like huh like i would never wear that to school i don't really know what outfits you've been looking at of cordelia's but i really like a lot of cordelia's outfits even in this episode she wore some really cute outfits i think she just has a different style than buffy cordelia's is a lot more put together and it's very like preppy it's preppy preppy yes but then buffy's is more grungy really the idea is that that. cordelia comes from money i okay this episode like cordelia did have some more like school looking outfits like she had that one with like the scarf or the um sweater around her neck and like the little skirt and that was super cute i just think that i'm like imagining like picturing a couple of like um outfits from like a few episodes ago where i'm like this looks like a straight up outfit i wear to my like actual job at a school yeah i think you're thinking about bewitched bothered and bewildered because i noticed in the episodes where they're trying to make xander look more like oh like dorky and goofy they make cordelia look more put together and so i think that cordelia is supposed to be the preppy rich girl. Her daddy has money. Like we're supposed to get that idea. So her clothes are supposed to kind of reflect that. Um, Like there's fashionable and then there's like dressing rich fashionable. You know what I mean? And so I think Cordelia, when you look at her, she just screams money. I mean, I think so does Buffy too. But, mm-hmm. but you know, in the, within the show, she's not supposed to. Um, And so then I think because Xander's supposed to be like the whole idea of like I'm thinking specifically by the pool when she's giving that speech about like, oh, Xander, I'll love you even if you're a fish. Like her outfit right there screams rich, preppy schoolgirl. And I think they specifically do that to kind of show the divide between Xander and Cordelia's like social class in a lot of ways in school. So I think I do agree with you though, Tabs. They sometimes dress her and you're like, she looks like she could mm-hmm. be a teacher at the school. Are are they – um are? Are they in Sunnydale or did they go drive somewhere to a beach? Ooh, that's a good question. Because as, as far as I know, Sunnydale doesn't have a beach. It has everything. Yeah, they, the they claim that it's a still a small town. Well, well, that and the fact that like Buffy doesn't seem on edge at all. And so I feel like she'd be a lot more on edge if she had to protect a crowd of people out at night in Sunnydale. Mm. Yeah, and maybe there's, like, safety in numbers. If there's, like, a bunch of people out, like, in the hospital, like, Angelus was loath to go attack Buffy in the hospital because there were so many people there and killed by death. So maybe. Um, Xander's complaining about how cold it is, and we find out that it's a party to celebrate the swim team's victory. Xander admits he's jealous and points out that a few guys were outsiders and freaks until they joined the swim team, and then suddenly, in his words, they inherited the cool gene. Cordelia says that it's about time the school excelled at something, yet – okay, you guys are going to kill me – in teacher's pet <laughs> – 
<laughs> Blaine tells Miss French that he took the championship and in some assembly required, Daryl was on the championship football team. So they can't be that bad, right? Because like multiple times throughout this, like they're like the first time in 15 years we could have a championship. I'm like, okay, Daryl's not that old. I think they're just talking about swim team though. That's the vibes I got. That the swim team itself had never like won a championship in 15 years. I thought that too, but at one point, like Snyder clearly says, we haven't been to, like the school hasn't been to a championship, but we can believe that it's just the swim team. That would be nice. Um, Willow, you're forgetting our high mortality rate. Xander, we're number one. And like some random girl like chants it <laughs> along with us, has no clue what he's saying. I saw saying. that too. I, I was dying. I, I, because She's like, like yeah. Like, Willow being so serious. And then there's some girl probably definitely drunk in the back just being like, yeah, we're number one. <laughs> swim team's number one. That's not what we're talking about, lady. <laughs> Uh, and then I thought this was like really poignant, like the camera panning over to Buffy sitting very far away from everybody else. And I think like, again, showing that like, here's a girl doing like a semi-normal thing, going to a party with her school, but yet she's sitting alone. And I think, again, obviously she's got a lot weighing on her, but the contrast between girl and Slayer is pretty clear too. Um, and you can tell she's deep in thought until Cameron comes over and snaps her out of it. And I love how subversive this moment is because in every romantic movie, there's always that it's beautiful, isn't it? And then like mm-hmm. the guy looks at the girl and says something about like, yeah, it is. And it's like he's talking about the girl, but he doesn't. He's just like, yeah, it's so eternal and like starts waxing poetic about I'm the like, ocean. like, do you want to make love to it? What's going on? No, but like, okay, oh, this <laughs> girl, a Buffy, I'm like, if this – if a man – a boy, sorry, my my bad. If a boy came up and was like saying the stuff that he said about the ocean, I would not like hang out with him after that. He's like, isn't it beautiful? A true mother giving birth to new life. I'd be like, boy, what you want? Are you okay? <laughs> well, I don't think she was actually even into him at all. I think it was just kind of she was wanting to get her mind off of Angel. Well, and she says, like, it's just nice to talk, like, have someone to talk mm-hmm. to, you know? And I think she was just looking for a friend. I mean, she turned down, like, what's that guy's name? I forget in the last episode that came up to her, like, the super nice, oh, chill dude He's in nice, the bronze. Though. I was like, he seems like he would be a lot nicer than this I know. guy. And she's like, wow, I was just going to say big and wet. <laughs> <laughs> When, so were we all. And then Cameron's talking about he and the other swim, swim team members train in the ocean by swimming against the current, to which Buffy's like, funny, that's how I feel most of the time. Mm-hmm. And like, that would have been a good time, Cameron, to be like, wow, yeah. what do you mean by that? And like, let's talk about this. Instead, he's all like, well, let me talk about the ocean I know, more. just completely <laughs> bulldozes over that. This girl sitting by herself makes some depressing comment. And he's like, all right, anyway, about the mother ocean. <laughs> Well, and then Buffy's so kind. She's like, all right, Cameron, so you just won the state semifinals. What are you going to do now? Like, she's like asking him questions and like finding out about Mm -hmm. his life. And I mean, okay, I do have to say this is pretty smooth. Cameron's like, I'm going to hang out with Buffy Summers, get to know her. I was like, okay, that's Mm -hmm. a good start and everything. And she seems like genuinely touched by his response. Like, Mm -hmm. oh, hey, like someone wants to actually get to know me. I was like, great. It's like none of your friends doing that. Like, is nobody really like talking to you, Buffy? Or do you feel like you can't talk to anyone? Like, she just seems lonely. I I don't think that she's – I don't think that it's her friends are not reaching out because – I really do think that at least, like, Willow is trying her very hardest to be there for Buffy. I think it's just that, like, Willow wasn't – I mean, uh, Buffy isn't really talking about it because it's, like, what is there to say? Mm. Like, everyone already knows what she's going through. 
And so she's like, I don't want to sit here and talk about how much I miss Angel and how Angel's actually killing people and all this stuff because it's just, it's pointless. Yeah, maybe talking to someone outside the gang would be something that would take her mind off of her Slayer duties and Angelus and all that. And then, oh, yeah, so then Buffy goes to give him the same speech that she just gave the dude from the bronze in the last episode. Cameron's like, it's no pressure. I just like being around you, which, again, like, very sweet, very kind. Buffy's, like, seems genuinely touched. Then we hear poor freaking Jonathan back there crying for help. Man, this guy, like, really gets bullied pretty hard. I – okay, I have a a question or, like, an observation, and let me know what you guys think. Buffy saves only men in this episode on several mm-hmm. occasions, and they all respond, in my opinion, very misogynistic, including Jonathan here. He, like, gets mad at her and, like, walks away, doesn't thank her. You see later on when she helps Gage, he responds horribly, but then is attached mm-hmm. to her hip for the rest of the episode. <laughs> she's, she's, like, you know, like, like I'm, I'm blanking on um other scenarios, but it's, like, I feel like this episode is really trying to drive home that a lot of these boys have misogyny and like yeah yeah no i I definitely agree with you tabs and i think um well first of all like jonathan's response is very similar to how xander responded in halloween when she Mm -hmm. rescued him from um oh now i can't remember his name larry um and he says mind your own business i can handle this without your help and so i think they're trying Mm -hmm. to drive home what we've been seeing in xander throughout the entirety of the show so far which is this whole ingrained misogyny of like i if if i'm gonna be manly if i'm gonna be cool Mm -hmm. I have to be able to stick up for myself. And if a girl sticks up for me, then that's like the worst thing that could happen for my reputation, Um, which is just stupid. So then, yeah, Buffy yanks the jerk away from Jonathan, sees the stupid shark tattoo on his shoulder. Nice tat. They run out of Tweety Bird. (laughs) (laughs) Some of the other members of the team decide to go for a night swim. Buffy offers to get Jonathan a towel and that's, yeah, when he says, mind your own business. And then we see Dot and Gage, the two guys from the swim team that had just been dunking Jonathan, having a conversation with Dodd, saying that Buffy gives him the creeps. Gage doesn't respond. Their conversation kills me because it's like, it's honestly kind of valid. As much as I love Buffy, if I saw this girl that was constantly like in the middle of fights, beating people up and like knew a lot of, would talk about like monsters and stuff, I'd be like, she's weird. I disagree though. I think like she's always there defending people and I think that they're like uh, threatened by that and are frustrated. (laughs) Yeah, no, they're frustrated. Like, ah, this girl keeps coming in and butting with us when we're trying to just have our own fun. Like that's what it seemed to me. He's just like lashing out and like very misogynistic anger. Yeah, by them saying she's gives them the creeps, they're not talking about like her overall presence. They're talking about the fact that she seems stronger than them. Yep. They're like, yep. That's, that's what I got too. To us. Yep. Yeah. So Dodd pauses and looks out to the sea, and then we hear like this weird like monster moaning sound. Gage smells something, Ew. calls back to Ew. Dodd. I know I hate that. Can this we part. skip over this part? <laughs> yep, Every we all time know what happened. Just flailed skin. You all know what it. happened. There's like a steaming pile of skin. Ugh. Um Gage is played by Wentworth Miller, who's mostly known for his role on Prison Break, but he's also part of the DC TV universe as Leonard Snart or Captain Cold. He's on The Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Batwoman. Um, Buffy was actually his first screen credit role, 
And he, this is what he says about his role. In 2014, a Details Magazine interviewer asked him about his experience playing a fish monster, his first on-screen acting job. Miller responded, honestly, I was completely out of my depth and doing whatever I could to keep up. They glued this prosthetic piece covered with scales to my chest. Then there was a piece over it that looked like human skin. I had to peel through the top layer to reveal the beast within. Deep into the third hour of this, the makeup artist says to me, we only have one of those pieces to tear through so you need to get this right no. hollywood can be a deeply strange place <laughs> <laughs> so now we're inside of uh the classroom where willow is still the teacher this is very odd uh she has very teacher vibes as she praises all the students for their pie chart making uh, sees that Gage is playing solitaire instead of doing his school, and Principal Snyder walks in. And then and then Snyder actually says something nice to a student, I think for the first time ever in the show. He, like, compliments Gage. And I was like, what? Who is this man? What is going on? I don't understand. Yeah, but it's only because he's an athlete, though. It's not really like it's super genuine. Yeah, that was our first clue that something was off. It's because Gage yep. brings in money and press for the school. Yep. yep. And looks makes, great for the school in general. Yep. Makes Snyder look better. Yeah. I, he, he praises Gage for his work in the swim team, then completely dismisses Willow's attempt to talk about her issues with Gage in the class. We find out that the board has been having trouble finding a teacher to replace Jenny so late in the term, so Willow agrees to continue subbing. Willow, I like teaching. And she's like super excited about it. And he's like, isn't that nice? You're a team player and I like that. And team player is an interesting choice of words because that's what the coach says too. Like it's this idea of like, hey, we all work together. We all help each other because winning is important. And if you like it, it, it leads it lends itself to a toxic environment because if you stand up for yourself with abuse or like how Willow is right now, it's you can be gaslit into, oh, you're not a team player because you, I'm using quotes, you care about yourself. And it's like, okay, but there is a healthy like emotional boundary that I can put up and say, hey, like, no, you're abusing the power you've you've placed in front of me, you know? Um, it's just very interesting that team player mentality can mm. be so toxic. But then also as a student who's trying to balance their own work, which I have a question, is this only one period? And if it is, then like Jenny Calendar only was teaching one class a day, which makes no sense. But if it's multiple classes, uh, she's not in her own classes, which makes yeah. no sense to me because it's like if he's forcing her to be a teacher, then he can also get mad at her that her grades aren't up. And she's not even like in class. So it just doesn't make sense to me. Like this whole dynamic, unless it was like a week and then they bring in a new sub, but then him kind of being like, okay, you're going to be here for whoever knows how long, probably until the end of the school year. But it's like, okay, is this one class or is this multiple periods? Which again, makes absolutely no sense. Yeah. I mean, with Willow teaching, that's one less class that she's actually involved in. If it's just in fact one class. Yeah. That's a really good point, Tabs. Um, so then he basically not threatens Willow, but is like, um, so you need to basically change his test scores. Um, and he admits that he knows that there's a problem with what's going on with Gage. Is that how you show your school spirit? He's like totally gaslighting her in this ep or in this, um, this whole conversation. Willow, I'm just trying to grade fairly. And it's hard because this is probably a real struggle for Willow. I mean, it'd be hard for anyone, but Willow is a rule follower. 
we've seen that. She also really um, is not typically an authority figure challenger. And so she's having her authority figure tell her to break the rules or bend the rules. And so she's like stuck in a really hard position. Um, it's really interesting. I'm curious what, to know what you guys think, but I think that she uses that frustration and kind of burns off some of that frustration on interrogating Jonathan and the others later on because there's this sense of like she doesn't have control over what's happening right here. And so she seeks control in the form of interrogating and possibly even like abusing <laughs> some of these people. Like when she's talking about like the, the key is not to leave a mark, I was like, like what? <laughs> oh, I think that was just a joke. I hope yeah. so. <laughs> I th- I just think like – Willow is to a T what psychologists like to analyze is like people who feel like they have no power around them and like their Mm. group of people. And so therefore they kind of have this um, unhealthy dynamic when it comes to any sort of power that they're given. So it makes absolute sense to me that she loves being a teacher, even though she's a good one. She's not like a, like a bad one at all, but she like, she feels like she can control that. And then she's given any sort of like dominance in a situation where she has the upper hand, AKA like, um, interrogating people. And she runs wild with that. And that's different to me because it's like, it's not like you're in a classroom where you like people, all eyes are on you. And she definitely seems to be driven by how people view her. So look at me trying to like psychoanalyze her. Yeah, look um, at you. Well done. <laughs> um, but then when she's like one on one with someone like Jonathan, she can kind of like let loose and like kind of let that tension out, which makes absolute sense to me. Willow is one of those TV characters along with Buffy where like I get both of them like so much yeah. as characters. They really did a good job of being like the things they do and how they get to where they're going to get. Like I'm like, I'm with you along the way. I get it. I totally understand. Yeah. No, they're they're extremely well written and they're really fun to analyze because it's very mm-hmm. nuanced. There's a lot going on there. And it isn't just one thing. There's multiple things going mm-hmm. on there. No, they're well. they're very well written three-dimensional characters. Yeah. It's also really interesting what Snyder says here. He says, Gage is a champion. He's under more pressure than the other students, and I think we need to cut him some slack. And the glaring not so subtle subtext here is that Buffy herself has been under more pressure than any other student. And it's been alluded to that Snyder is aware, at least maybe not necessarily of her role, but he knows that like she's fighting evil. Like I think Snyder possibly knows. Um, Yet at the end of the day, he doesn't seem to care. Like prestige is what matters to him. Like when it actually like affects his role and affects what's going on there, like it it doesn't matter to him. Like it's all like it doesn't matter to like maybe give her some more of uh cut her some more slack and stuff. And the other subtext is the ridiculous standards between boys and girls. And I think it's this idea of not just athletes, but guys in general. Oh, they're under more pressure and because, you know, boys don't mature as fast as girls or something like that. You know, like there's this whole Leah rolls her eyes. But it's true. No, like, I, I agree with you. It's I think that that was one of the more metaphors. Like, this is my frustration with this episode. They touch on actual important things. Mm -hmm. Not that steroid abuse is not an important subject. It is. Mm -hmm. But I would say that the ingrained misogyny and just, like, victim mindset that is just instilled into young boys in high school and earlier um, is way more damaging than like steroid use 
Like, because just yeah. like by larger percentage. Yes. Um, and so it's like, I, I completely agree with you, Sarah. And I, I, that's one of the, like, that's one of the scenes in the episode where I just kind of was like, can we talk about this more, please? Can mm-hmm. we talk about the fact that like Buffy gets her butt whooped every day, comes to school and puts her all in as much schoolwork as she possibly humanly can. Um, but like Snyder's always looking for her to fail. And then you have someone who literally has no excuse. And Snyder is like, well, they're busy or they're bubble. And it's like, shut up. Like, it's, oh, yeah. it's infuriating. Because hear me out. I 1000% agree with you, Lee. And I'm kind of like, add something to that. Hear me out. What if the theme or the quote unquote big bad of season two was just the idea of massage, integrating misogyny in men. And then each episode, they can talk about different aspects of it. Whereas this episode, their whole metaphor was steroids when it could have been the grossness misogyny of men. And then an, like an, an idea of that could be seen through steroids and or athletes. But they decided to focus on that portion and then just kind of, kind of poke a little bit in like the ingrained misogyny of men whereas the whole season could have been about that and then each episode could be reptile boy could be the whole angel storyline could be this one could be teacher's pet could be like there's so many different ones that you could put and it could make a very interesting full-fledged season where you could actually dig dig deep into um different stuff that women have to go through and how boys have to go through a lot of stuff and where they have to get to in their lives and blah 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 but i'm just like you can't just like slightly throw those things in there when something is that important. Yeah. And I and I, I completely agree with you, Tavi. Sarah, correct me if I'm wrong, but wasn't like the eighties and nineties like known for like excessive steroid use? Isn't that what I have took off? No idea. I have no for idea. For some reason I feel like that's accurate. I feel like I really should fact check myself before I say that. I don't know. Um, we can look it up and find out. But me, okay. you, yeah, you, you should guys look it up can and talk and I'll look it up. Yeah, look it up. No, Tabs, I think that's a really good point. And I think that is kind of one of the metaphors for season two is in, is misogyny. And I think it's probably also just kind of going to be a metaphor for the rest of the season be- or the rest of the show, simply because we have a female character. I mean, I, I think, I don't know if you guys read the article that I sent you about like the new Black Widow movie and how I read this article talking about how the themes, I don't want to give away the spoilers for those of you who haven't seen it, but like a, a lot of what happens in that movie could not and would not have been approved of 10 years ago, even 10 years ago, which is crazy. And so they were talking about how Black Widow could only have come out now. Like it's unfortunate, but it, it had to kind of, Black Widow had to kind of rest upon the shoulders of Wonder Woman and Captain Marvel, which are safer uh, female empowerment stories because they talk about peace and love and they have more of a a softer feminine character mm-hmm. versus Black Widow is a basically reformed supervillain. And they're talking mm-hmm. about how like nobody, when they decided to include uh, Black Widow into the original um, Avengers. Nobody was actually thinking about that. They were just, and they brought up Buffy, actually. They said uh, Black Widow fit into Joss Whedon's uh, archetype of female. It was like this um, emotionally scarred woman who has a lot of uh, past trauma. And they were like, and so, you know, they were talking about how like in the 90s, you had Xenia, you had Buffy the Vampire Slayer, you had X-Files, you had these strong, powerful women taking over television, and it hadn't really translated to 
films into movies. Mm. And so they're talking about how like we had I think it's to harder have- to do. It is harder to do because you have a wider mm-hmm. audience. Um, and so anyway, I forget what my point with all that was. But they're talking about how like there is um, – there's a lot of trauma and there's a lot of stuff that goes on. And so when it comes to this show in general, like it's always going to be about um, female empowerment. It's always going to be about women going against uh, misogyny and stereotypes and all the other stuff. And so I do think there is a little bit of that in this season – but I think, like you said, Tabs, like this episode could have been so much better if that was something that we were talking about a little bit more heavily. And also, like steroids is such a like a niche topic to talk about. Like, not everybody's an athlete, you know. Like, this is supposed to be about like coming of age, but not everybody who's coming of age is an athlete, you know. Imagine how much more impactful this season would be if you had like that overarching idea of misogyny when it came to men. And then you have, because if you look at a lot of the episodes in season two, a lot of them kind of touch on some stuff that could have been a lot more impactful because it's like, okay, here's the overarching view and let's tackle different areas. And so you even think about that in um, um, some assembly required. Like that talks about some stuff too about like athletes. And yeah. I just, I don't know. Now that I have that in my brain, I'm like, oh, that's such a missed opportunity because then it would be really interesting. You're like, oh, mm-hmm. shoot. Or even like um the whole Ripper episode. You could have talked about stuff like that with like Ethan Rain and like Halloween and stuff. Like there's so much they could have done. And I think it is there to a lesser extent. Like we see with Xander's whole storyline. Sorry, my dog is like tearing up a box right now. So ignore all of that. Um, But like the whole concept of like fragile masculinity and how misogyny, like it really affects men as as well as it affects women because there's this sense of to be masculine, to be manly means to lord your strength over women. Um, I'm not saying that's what it actually is, but a lot of times that's what society tells us. It is to uh, take what is yours, to demand respect, demand control. And if you don't have a bunch of sexual conquests and stuff, so that is all being internalized by these guys in here, as well as you are entitled to all of that. You earn it by being naturally gifted and good at something. And if you're not as good, then that's going to get all taken away from you. So like, then they resort to steroids because there's a societal pressure and all of their value and worth has been put into um, the sport and being good. But Leah, did you find the thing about the steroids? Um, kind of. I've been looking it up and it seems that steroid use was, um, it became more used to the public in the 80s and the 90s. So okay. steroids were genuinely used, generally used in like the 50s and 60s for like high level athletes like Olympians. Um, and hmm. then around the 80s is when it started to be extended to the general population. Um, gotcha. And then around the late mid nineties, uh, Congress passed the anabolic 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 I don't know steroid act of nineteen ninety to respond to the increasing levels of illicit traffic in steroids. So maybe it was a bigger issue. I also was thinking about in this conversation between Willow and Snyder too, like when he talks about you know. She says, are you asking me to change his grade? And he said, I never said such such a thing. All I'm suggesting is that you recheck your figures. It's sad because if like for some reason this does come back to bite Willow, like she will bear the brunt of the consequences um, if she gets in trouble. Snyder won't simply because he'll just deny and say, I never said. 
you know, it's just, it's really sad. And I think, again, another picture of how um, oftentimes girls get held accountable for things that guys should be held accountable for. So in the hallway, Xander, that is wrong. It's a slap in the face to everyone who studied hard and worked long hours to earn our Ds. Cordelia, certain people are entitled to special privileges. They're called winners. That's the way the world works. Xander, what about that nutty all men are created equal thing? Cordelia, propaganda spouted out by the ugly and less deserving. Xander, I think that was Lincoln. Cordelia, disgusting mole and stupid hat. Willow's like, uh, actually, that was Jefferson. And then Cordelia says, kept slaves, remember? Which that line is actually dubbed. So initially in the script, the line was kept slaves, got any more? And so they, um, if you'll notice, her mouth doesn't quite match up with the words that she's saying in that one line because they like dubbed it over for some reason. I don't know why. Xander is upset that Buffy isn't there to share in his moral outrage about swim team perks as she's too busy being one of them. And we have that really cool transition to the school parking lot where Cameron pulls up in his Mustang, <laughs> which is another little nod to the privilege of being on the swim team. You can show up late and you have a fancy sports car, which I like all those little details. Okay. What are your guys' thoughts on this scene? Because I'm sure you have them. I actually really like this scene. Um, only because I think that it's very normal in a very sad mm -hmm. way. I think that he pretends to come off as a very, like, great guy who just, like, wants to be there for her, blah, blah, blah. But the minute he gets any opportunity to do anything even remotely sexual, he, like, literally jumps on it. And, like, just the whole interaction is so creepy and so gross and, like, props to Buffy to, like, only breaking his nose because I think I would have gone a lot farther. Um, but, like, I don't know. I, I really like it. I think that it's a really well mm -hmm. done scene and it doesn't feel too forced or unnatural. It, it feels, you know, honestly a little too <laughs> normal. Um, and I think it speaks a lot to um, how athletes are treated i like how there's little subtleties and how rather than just being very like upfront, which i think they did a lot in this episode i think that's maybe why i don't really like it that much but there are some scenes where they did it in subtle ways where i was like oh like this is interesting where he felt very comfortable doing this in broad daylight in front of the school because he's an athlete and because he's kind of like kissed in the butt by the school and I didn't even realize that until I was watching the scene this time around. And I was like, oh my gosh, like I didn't even think about this is right in front of the school. Like if Snyder walked by and it seemed like Buffy wasn't putting up a fight, he wouldn't even care. He wouldn't, you know, he wouldn't like get him in trouble because he's a star athlete. The fact that he didn't feel like he had any repercussions, he could do it, you know, super like invisible sight is I think one of the more, um, I don't know if they meant to do it, but it's the one of the stronger details and or like moving points of this episode that really kind of like puts the nail in the coffin for me. Um, I don't know if that's the right phrasing, but I think that I prefer stuff like that that's a little bit more like you have to think about it than stuff that's more like, oh, like obvious and like way more in your face. Um, also, I think that there is a stigma when it comes to girls not only having to go through like either um, like a sexual assault or like having a 
quote unquote pattern of dating douchebags and people kind of pin it on them. And I read some more that was like, um, a lot of guys will be like, oh, well, like good guys finish last and they get like all upset about it. And they're like, oh, you tend to have a record of like dating guys that are douchebags. And it's like, a lot of the time girls will end up falling for the quote unquote douchebags because they act nice in the beginning. And I think that I like the fact that they showed him being all sweet in the beginning because a lot of girls will end up falling for the douchebags who end up starting out being really nice and then flipping the switch and then they can have the power over them. And I hate that stigma mm-hmm. that guys kind of put on girls where they're like, well, you know, good guys finish last and or like people kind of victim blame the girls by being like, well, you only like the douchebags or whatever. And it's like a lot of girls think that these guys are nice and then they end up in situations where they feel like they've already put their guard down and the guys can have dominance over them. And it's just really sad. So I think I like how they set up this car scene because I think this is, like Leah said, a real depiction of what happens. Yeah, I totally agree. I feel like he was set up to be a nice guy, maybe a little like obsessed with the ocean and stuff. But like once he like says, you know, Buffy, you know, you want it, all that, all, the, all that stuff. It was kind of like, oh, this guy like was talking about all that stuff, be- not because he's like trying to relate to Buffy, but because he's talking about himself because he thinks that he's super important. And like even his throwing in the Gertrude Ederly story. It kind of felt like this pandering of like, oh, hey, there's this woman that's like really strong and really powerful. You'll relate to that. Kind of not necessarily to like include Buffy in the conversation, but just as a way to be like, oh, you're a woman. Like there, here's a woman. You should know, you should know her. You know, it just kind of felt like very, like he was talking down to her in that moment, you know? And I mean, I, again, props to Buffy, who's just so kind, like, She's obviously bored out of her mind by what he's talking about, but she tells she thanks him sincerely. Like it was just nice to talk to somebody who like has like without having any like what did she say like romantic pressure and like then he goes and like pressures her romantically. Like it's just yeah, she's just very sweet. I it is very satisfying to see her like bruise his nose though. Um, and then Snyder's appearance right there with the finger just felt very dead. Like, it was like, oh, I'm in trouble. And also, like, it was set up very well, too, because we just had the conversation with Willow. We all know what's going to happen. There's no way Snyder's going to take her her place or her position, you know? Um, so the nurse gives Cam ice while Buffy's trying to explain that she was acting in self-defense. Snyder, that's not how it looked to me. Um Real quick pause. The nurse is played by Conchata. I think that's how you say her name. Farrell. Um, she's been in so many TV shows since the 70s. Um, she actually played on Friends. She was in the episode, the one with Joey's Porsche. She played the judge. I don't know if you remember that. It's the same actress. Um, she was also in Murder, She Wrote, Edward Scissorhands, and she played Berta on Two and a Half Men, which is, I think, the role that she's most well-known for. Cameron says, I don't know what happened. I mean, first she leads me on, then she goes, schizo on me. Buffy, when did I leave, lead you on? Cameron, oh, come on. I mean, look at the way she dresses. And okay, so we have to, again, take a huge pause. This is at the height of purity culture. Um, And so this is when, you know, there's so much stigma around women. I mean, I think I still think that we feel the ripple effects of purity culture even now of this idea of what you're wearing causes men to stumble and stuff like that. And it's just really sad because, okay, 
let's say, let's say that that's true. Even what Buffy is wearing is conservative by a lot of standards. She's wearing a simple black V-neck tank. Like, but even if she weren't, like, that how a girl dresses is never an invitation for sexual assault. And this episode is clunky, but its subtle message right here in this particular moment is spot on. Well, I was just going to say it's also extremely ironic that the literal captain of the swim team who wears a literal Speedo as his uniform <laughs> is talking about how Buffy is inappropriate. Like, yes. Do I, do I think that Speedos or anything like that are inappropriate? Absolutely not. But, like, that's hugely hypocritical to tell her wearing a literal just dress is inappropriate when you're walking around in front of the whole school in your literal underwear. Like, yeah. that's inappropriate if we're going to well, talk about anything. That's a really good point, Leah, especially because, you know, later on we have the whole slow-mo of Xander and then all the girls and they're ogling him. There's like a very clear double standard here and yet it's okay for one half but not the other. I don't know. It's just very interesting. Yep. And like I said, like there's nothing wrong with being in a Speedo. There's nothing wrong with wearing a black dress. Like there's nothing right. wrong with it. The difference is, is only one of them gets criticized and the other one doesn't. And it gets criticized by the person who showed more skin in the episode. Um, Coach tells Cam to go to the steam room after he's done. Tells the nurse, Ruthie, to take care of his boy. Which that is like red flag number one for the coach right there. The fact – and also, too, the fact that he doesn't even check in with Buffy and say, hey, like, are you – what happened? Are you okay? Like, he just, like, doesn't even acknowledge Buffy until he says, you try to dress more appropriately from now on. This isn't a dance club. Which – I don't know that the coach was in the room when he, Cameron actually said that. So it's like, I wonder like where these guys – I wonder if these guys are getting their ideas from the coach, you know? But it's also ironic because it's like clearly this school doesn't have a dress code. Yeah, so right. Like, they really have <laughs> no right to tell Buffy what she can and cannot wear because there is no dress code. Yeah, I, I've definitely seen Buffy wear like more um, – showy things than this before you know like this is very conservative i've seen miss calendar wear more showy things <laughs> than this before that is true that is so true oh my gosh can you believe this but of course snyder doesn't stick up for her at all just walks out and stupid cam over there smirking it just drives me nuts i, I can't all right so as infuriating as that last scene was Honestly, this next scene makes me more angry. And I think we're all going to say the same thing. And it's interesting because I, I brought Andrew and my husband and I was like, Andrew, oh, look at this this moment. I was like, I'm so frustrated because like Buffy's there recounting everything to the gang. She's like, I'm treated like the baddie just because he has a sprained wrist and a bloody nose and I don't have a scratch on me, which granted hurts my case a little. And so she's like, it's played off kind of like funny and like she's babbling. And then like the camera angle switches and everybody's like deep in their books and studying and they all give her a look like, gosh, Buffy, why are you still talking? And she like – is like, oh, yeah, oh, I'm my gosh, like, I'm being insensitive and I'm the one that's, like, talking too much. And then she kind of, like, sinks down. And they make her feel bad for feel being justifiably upset about almost being assaulted and then being gaslit for how she was, like, supposedly, quote, unquote, for how she was dressed. Me Buffy immediately feels bad and then stops talking. And then it's like, so anything new with you guys? And Giles – Giles, man. Yeah, Giles <sighs> is the one I'm really mad at in this scene. 
Yeah. Like, oh, thank you for finally, you know, making – what did he say? He said, thank you for taking Having an interest. Having an interest. And- yeah. Like, mm-hmm. gosh. Like – Oh my gosh! Oh, the whole the whole thing is like, how dare Buffy take up space and talk about how she's feeling? It's like, gosh, stop being so selfish, Buffy. And so, I like I was talking to Andrew, and I was like, oh, this is so frustrating. He goes, well, like clearly the episode is trying to make a point, and so I think we've talked about how like there's like layers to Buffy. There's like what's actually happening and then there's the whole metaphorical thing of what's happening. And sometimes it's really hard to kind of sift out is what the writers like how they're portraying this is supposed to be intentional and showing that everybody's dismissing Buffy's experience and how that's not supposed to be how it actually is or like are the writers conveying the fact that it's not actually that important like it's hard to tell and it shouldn't be so hard to tell well i wrote that down i was like i genuinely don't understand the purpose of this scene like i don't like I don't know if it was supposed to be like what you're saying, like they're supposed to prove a point, but I I know how Buffy does things. And this didn't feel like that. It felt like it was they really were out of character. Doing it as a comic relief. Yeah. And I was like, like this makes no sense. Like I don't understand why they put this in here. It seems incredibly harmful. Yeah. And like Buffy, yeah. I think she's used to like this encourages her being nervous and or not wanting to open up about things and it's very frustrating yep yep i wrote like this is why yeah no absolutely 100 and i wrote of course she cares she asked about dot in the scene before like she cares this episode is hard because the writers are obviously making the point through showing a string of scenes where people gaslight her or don't believe her so it's obviously written intentionally it's just frustrating that her friends don't take her seriously and like like i said before sometimes the show does repeatedly or something it does repeatedly is address something metaphorically but not actually have the characters address it like assault is clearly implied but because no one addresses it head on we're left going okay so what are we supposed to like how are we supposed to deal with it and instead buffy's response to their silence in the scene is played off for laughs and again it's not enough to just condemn something and as an episode be like you can't blame a girl's clothing for assault you also have to show the right response and this would have been the moment for her friends to be like that's awful. Giles as an administrator goes, I'm going to go talk to Snyder or whatever, and I'm going to go address this as an adult as a serious issue. Well, because here's the thing. They could have done the scene by proving the same point by her kind of talking and them not really listening and being in, and like golfed in the reading and then coming back later and apologizing and, and or fixing it. I am very frustrated at the fact that they were listening and you could tell that they were listening and being like, Buffy, get out of yourself. Focus on the task at hand. That's a whole different type of way of doing it. And it it could easily be played off because I was thinking about it too, like Buffy's strength, the idea that because Buffy is so strong that this kind of thing could never actually happen to her. So she would never let it. So why should they make a big deal out of it? Why should she be believed? Because clearly she could stop it from happening. And so I feel like that's also kind of a subtle message that they're putting in there. Just because you were strong enough to fight him off, just because you can defend yourself doesn't mean it's not scary. Doesn't mean that it's not real. Doesn't yeah. mean that it should have happened. Like, the, I could go on and on, but it's like, just because Buffy could protect herself 
doesn't mean that that's, that behavior is okay and it's not something you should take serious because he could very easily go and do it to the next girl who can't defend herself. Yeah. But this also diminishes the freezing response that a lot of women go through. It's always, well, why didn't she say anything? Well, why didn't she speak up? Why didn't you, you know, call for help? Why didn't you leave? It's like some women legitimately can't do anything. And even if they like can do something, they shouldn't be forced to be in that situation anyway. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. It's just very frustrating and it's hard because it feels like – I feel like Giles would have been like, what? That happened? Like it just felt like an out-of-character moment and it was a little frustrating. So yeah, that made me more upset than the moment before because we expect that of Snyder. All right, so Jazz explains that they found Dodd McGalvey's remains. Buffy immediately asks if it was a vampire. Giles says nothing was left but skin and cartilage. Buffy, something ripped him open and ate out his insides. Willow, like an Oreo cookie. Whoa, okay there, Willow. Everyone looks at her very weird. Giles says that Snyder has asked for the faculty to keep the news quiet so as not to upset the students. So it's interesting you have the whole keep quiet within the same moment where Buffy's whole thing is happening too. I think, again, there's like a layer of metaphor here, which is fine, but you need to actually like show us a good example of like that happening. And like, okay, let's take it one step further too. Like actually show that Buffy's friends are good friends and care for her. Like enough with the metaphor. Like at this point, they don't look like good friends, you know? Um, so the gang is stumped about what's happening and we go- cut to the steam room. Cam is in there and we have like the shots of the lockers and it goes back and forth as Cam hears something and then is startled by the coach, which is kind of like a cool, clever foreshadowing of the coach being the actual villain, the actual monster. Um, the subtext is rapidly becoming text. Um, and then Xander's on his way to the snack machine for a mid-research snack, runs into Cam and we have, oh, forgive me, your swim teemingly list. <laughs> Cameron, loser, Xander, liking the nose, Cam. Yep. Good look for you. I will say in this scene, like, Xander was really funny to me. And even just the fact when he was like, yeah. <laughs> he's like, I love that you guys try and do those crappy douchey things to Buffy of all people. Like, Xander's just kind of sitting there like, of course, of course, if you're going to do it to anyone, you would do it to the girl who can clearly beat you up. No, Xander was very brave in this episode. And like, I do give him a lot of props for a lot of the scenes, other than the library one, because everyone pissed me off. That <laughs> but from here on, on, on out, Xander does do a lot of things where I'm like, good job, Xander. Yeah. I will say, okay, so I'm really trying not to be on the Xander bashing train, but like this scene was funny. And I think that it was written intentionally because you have Xander like going to the snack machine, like, oh, I'm so hungry. I'm so hungry. And Cam's over there like, I get free pass to the cafeteria. Like they liked how they kind of shoehorned that in. But I will say like, it's frustrating. Like a lot of what motivates Xander is jealousy. Like we know this with Angel and stuff. And so him lashing out and saying the whole like liking the nose and um, Buffy must not be on your list of privileges after all and stuff like that kind of strikes me as Xander saying those things simply because he's jealous that he doesn't have the clout and the prestige that these guys do. And so he's kind of hiding behind Buffy in a way and using her as a weapon of like, ha, 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 you messed with Buffy. But like – Bobby's not on your list of privileges, but I'm her friend. It kind of like, and again, I could be reading into it, but I I kind of saw it that way just because we know that Xander has a history of jealousy. I also think that's kind of fair. Like seeing a guy Mm. who everyone loves and adores and you're thinking like one of the girls that you actually wanted at the school didn't even want to look at you, but she's my friend because 
in her eyes, I'm of worth in some way. Like, I don't think that's like a super terrible character flaw. I think that that's kind of valid to be like, my friend thinks I'm worthy of something. Yeah, I guess so. I don't know. He, I think that it's just frustrating because we're coming off of he's ignoring Buffy's pain in the library, but then he uses that information as a weapon when he feels insecure. Instead of like, instead of saying, man, Buffy, gosh, that's really awful. He like heard what she was saying, recognized what happened, and then like is over there like poking at Cam instead of like actually like helping Buffy. So it just seemed like he used that information and wielded it as a weapon when he wanted to. It's like he's only happy Buffy hurt Cam because it makes him feel better, not because Cam deserved it, which I didn't like, you know? Cam enters the calf, smells something. Xander hears crashing Cam's screams. We find Cam, yada, yada, moving on. (laughs) In the library, Cordelia's drawing a monster. Man, Cordelia can draw. Like, everybody in this – or everybody in this season is, like, drawing really well. Xander, like, yells at her that it's not right. And Cordelia, I'm doing the best that I can. Like, I honestly felt really bad for Cordelia in this moment because – I know that Xander is, like, frustrated and scared, but he is not always kind to Cordelia, and I don't like how he treats her. Giles asks if that's what he saw. Xander isn't sure. Okay. And then this again. Sorry. Cordelia, go ahead. Say it. You ran like a woman. Xander, if you saw it, you'd run like a woman, too. Okay. So if you're going to denigrate women – Yet the strongest person you know is a woman and you don't take her seriously because she's strong enough to not let a guy take advantage of her. Like, which is it? Like, this this episode is just very contradictory sometimes in the message that it's sending. And I know, like, we have to look at it from the 90s point of view. But, like, saying you run like a girl in a show that's supposed to be, like, subversive and turning everything on its head, like, it just rubs me the wrong way. And maybe I'm just extra sensitive, like, watching this episode, but I was just like, ugh! I think that, here's the thing, I think that it would be different if we were going into the show and watching it casually, but for a show that we know can do better, and also a show that claims to be so heavily feminist, it's like, why? Why do we keep finding these little, you know under hinged remarks where it's just kind of like okay we get it you think girls are underlying marks now let's go watch buffy kick butt for the 15,000th time like (laughs) it just is kind of stupid and it's boring sometimes it's hard to know if the show is making like specific points or is just slipping into its typical sexist dialogues and tropes because of the time era that it's in and the hard part is is that either way it's bad writing because if it's not like to the point where, oh, because well, it's the true. Thing is, is that if, if it's not to the point where like we as an audience can sit here and go, okay, this is clearly satire or this is clearly making a point. If we have to sit here and be like, I think this is what they're trying to say, then it's not good writing. Like, and I love this show and I think yeah. that's why I can sit yep. here and say that this episode was not that great of writing because I know that there's so many episodes that are so much better. Yeah, yeah. And this isn't typical to how the show normally is. And I think it is frust- – what frustrates me too about this episode is there's not really a ton of moments where like like the end is feels very anticlimactic to me. Like Buffy doesn't actually like kick any monster butt a whole lot. I think Tabby mentioned that. Like Xander like basically saves her and that's it. Like it's for an episode that's supposed to be all about like female empowerment specifically. It just felt frustrating that it was like once again, Xander got her out of there, you know? Anyway, okay, we'll get there. Willow, Buffy was right. Whoa, 
You don't say. Tells everyone that Dodd and Cam are the best swimmers on the team. They figure out that Gage is the next swimmer on the menu. Cordelia, God, this is so sad. We're never going to win the state championship. I think I've lost all will to cheerlead. Xander, raise your hand if you feel her pain. Giles suggests the killings are revenge. Buffy says, and raise the possibility that someone brought forth the sea monster from whence it came to exact that revenge, which is funny because Willow uses that exact verbiage later on when she's um, torturing Jonathan. Um, And then she goes, from whence it came, I'm spending way too much time around you and looks at Giles and his smile is the sweetest thing. Yeah, he does. He's like, like, yes. I'm like, okay, all is forgiven, Giles. Not really, but like I'm a little bit, a little bit not as mad as mad at him. So Xander asks who would hate the swim team that much besides me, I mean. Willow hypothesized that it's Jonathan because he's bullied by them. And Buffy suggests that she go question him. Willow, really? Me? I'll crack him like an egg. <laughs> Giles tells Bubby to watch and protect Gage. Xander asks what he can do. Cordelia, well, you could go out to the parking lot and practice running like a man. To which Xander hugs himself vulnerably because from what we know of Xander, that's like got to really hurt him. I will say I (laughs) – maybe this is because I've like memorized every single like comedic spot and like Buffy because I've seen so many things so many times and maybe it's the fact that I've seen this episode like twice I mean I cannot enunciate today seen this episode twice so all of the scenes where Buffy is like <laughs> like sneaking like looks and like staring at Gage were making me audibly laugh. so funny I thought it was so funny like and I think obviously like Gage is supposed to be someone who's kind of like you know still a bit like misogynistic but you see a little bit of like an episode arc in him and i was like dang why'd you have to kill him i, I thought no, he was seriously. actually like coming around that's the one I thing like, oh. i uh, that's the one thing i honestly remember from this episode is i always felt so bad especially when he's dying he's like begging buffy to help I him know. i'm like and he's like sm- waving at her in the pool and like they had Stop like it. i was gonna wait for that because <laughs> i was like oh that's so cute <laughs> he reminds me of another character that'll pop up next season yeah but i was just like oh like i just wish that we had more reoccurring side high school characters they would have had a cute friendship it's just extras yeah it's just like extras every single episode and then the only people we see get like airtime are people who die that episode we rarely see like random characters we have jonathan they just pop up every once in a while jonathan's here jonathan and larry harmony are like the only two harmony she, she's not a side character to me. She's like part of like Cordy's circle and we see her pretty frequently. But like a random, you know, like someone who's like in an episode who's like, hey, can I borrow a pencil? And it's like the same thing you've seen like <laughs> sit next to her. You know, that would have be been funny. funny. Yeah, you're right. But I'm like, oh, justice for Gage. Like I feel really bad for him in this episode. I was like, oh. Yeah, he wasn't even that bad of a guy. Yeah. Oh. Did you guys notice that Buffy's magazine was upside down? <laughs> No. When she pulls in the magazine, it's upside down. It's like she's looking at it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> How do you not notice? You have to be so into your work, like into your dialogue and like everything to – or maybe they did it on purpose. They did it on she's, purpose. Like, clearly not reading. Yeah, they did it okay, on purpose. It. <laughs> it's very obviously upside down. All right. So Willow's interrogating Jonathan. So, Jonathan, and I think it's interesting that she brings him to her classroom, her place of power. Um, John, Jonathan's like, I'm asthmatic. I couldn't keep up. She's like, you resented it, didn't you? You hated being pushed around by Dot and the others. You wanted revenge, didn't you? 
Jonathan, yeah, okay, I did. So you delved into the black arts and conjured up a hell beast from the ocean's depths to wreak your vengeance, didn't you? Jonathan, I snuck in yesterday and peed in the pool. <laughs> yes. Willow, ew. But this is <laughs> so funny. This is an interesting conversation, though, because Willow is completely projecting. Like, in the first episode, we see her being bullied by Cordelia, and it's obvious she still carries that chip on her shoulder, especially because Xander chose Cordelia over her. Like, we see that in phases. Also, we've seen Willow wield her knowledge and power of computers when she got Cordelia to delete her paper in that exact same classroom. So you can't help but wonder if Willow understands, relates, and maybe even admires Jonathan in that brief moment. Like, it's just really interesting that they have Willow being the one that is interrogating him because I think out of all people, she can really relate with him. Maybe, maybe Xander, but yeah. So in the school hallway, Snyder and the coach are discussing the deaths of the swimmers. The coach isn't sure how he'll get the boys to continue swimming after they find out that everyone's dying. Um, Snyder, I don't know two finer boys than Cameron and that other one, which is exactly what we, we all can't remember the guy's name, Dodd. Oh my gosh. But I know they'd want their friends to go on and win that state championship. It's time to think about the team. <laughs> the coach talks about how he needs someone else and Xander hears them conveniently. In the bronze, the music, if you'd listen, by Nero's Rome is playing Buffy's watching Gage play pool, being super sus. This whole episode reminded me of I Robot You Jane when Buffy like puts on her sunglasses and is like going to find out like the I forget what it is, like the company or something like that. So funny. The actor's performance choice of like pausing every few seconds, being like, should I say something? Should I go and talk to her? I think was genius. You could see his inner dialogue of being like, should I go and talk to her and tell her how annoyed I am that she's staring at me right now? And then he would push through and then she'd like move closer and he'd be like, <sighs> and then he like finally went over there and he's like, what is going on? It's so funny. I love this. And I hate this episode, but this whole interaction between Gage and Buffy was like my favorite part. Yeah. And then he dies. And I'm like, oh, yeah. come on. Can right. anyone even survive in this high school? Yeah. Their their interactions, their scenes are literally my favorite with the exception of the yep. next scene with Angelus and Gage. It was pretty funny. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. So then Buffy claims to be a swim groupie. There's just something about the smell of chlorine on a guy. Oh, baby. <laughs> said no girl ever man gage rolls his eyes and starts to walk away buffy okay okay obviously my sex appeal is on the fritz today so i'll just give it to you straight she tells him that something is killing off people she thinks he might be next gage doesn't believe her says that cam warned him about her go find someone else to harass outside the bronze <laughs> gage is like mumbling a psycho bitch just as angelus comes smirking out of the shadows gotta be talking about buffy <laughs> I will say, I when Angelus came out, I don't know if it's the fact that we haven't watched a Buffy episode in like a month or whatever, but I was like, oh, I almost miss Angelus. Like, <laughs> because I'm like, these fish boys are not doing it for me. Like, I, I need like Angelus. He's actually someone I'm Gage like. Gage is a little cutie. Oh, he's scared. No, I'm not saying like attractiveness i'm saying like as a villain like i'm not scared of fish mm -hmm. like it doesn't <laughs> i mean i am me. <laughs> those it's things just, like, would freak me out not gonna lie i don't know it's just like whenever there's like a one off kind of like villain it always makes me miss the actual big villain because it's like why are we dedicating so much time to villains that no one cares about 
Leia's like, give me a real man. I need a real villain. Yeah, um, give me a real villain. Yeah, seriously. No, you're you're not wrong. Gage, how did you know? Angelus, she and I had this thing once. Biggest mistake of my life. She's a real head tripper. Gage, tell me about it. Girl acts like she's God's gift. Angelus, who is she? The chosen one? <laughs> she literally is. She literally is. And the funny thing is he knows. I think what's funny is the fact that like Angelus knows she's the chosen one and knows she's special, but she still gets under his skin. Yeah. And he's back there like smirking and like, I'm so funny, like all to himself because Gage is not going to get that. Like, oh my gosh. So uh I think this was a poorly thought out plan by Angelus. You know they just had to shoehorn Angelus in here somehow. He says, I'm recruiting. Okay, so Angelus is thinking that he knows that clearly like Buffy and Gage are at odds. Like Gage doesn't like her. So like he's like, oh yeah, this will really get Buffy if I bite the guy that like, you know, they're both like clearly not very close. It doesn't make that much sense unless he was planning on doing the same thing that he was going to do with – um. Oh, what's the girl in phases? Uh, Teresa. He was going to do the same thing he did with Teresa. Oh, you know Buffy, so I'm going to like – but still like I feel like he could have picked someone better. See, I see it more as like he wasn't actually going to turn him into a vampire. I see it more as like he just kind of wanted a clever line. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. It just was weird. Also, what I was telling you about earlier, and I forgot the other situation where Buffy's saving all these guys. So she saves Gage in this scenario. Mm-hmm. And then Angelus looks at her and says, oh, Miss Summers, you're beautiful. And it's like it's. I feel like all that every single time she saved a man in this um, episode, it, they all have different reactions, but they're not the proper reaction. And this one is talking about her looks, which is really interesting. Rather than being like, "Oh, thank you," like now you're like, it's like, "Oh, like you're really pretty." And then like Gage is like, doesn't even <laughs> like they say thank you, and he's like, "Walk me home." But I'm yeah. like, how do you even say, "Can you walk me home?" I think this is kind of the first time you kind of break the fourth wall this episode when it comes to the school observing mm. things. Because they mention, like, Gage at um, the beach mentions, oh, she kind of creeps me out or whatever. Or Dodd so Dod like said to Gage, yeah. Okay, yeah, sorry. And so it's like, okay, so apparently people have been, like, noticing that she's at least around some sketchy yeah. stuff. Yeah, And then this time – I don't know, for me, the way he said it seemed very much like, I know you can protect me. I've observed you, so you're going to walk me home, rather than being like, can you walk me home? It's like, walk me home. Like, it's more of just like a, he knew she would do it, which is very interesting, the way that he words it. Yeah, yeah. Right, well, I mean, the whole, yeah, unfortunately, we have a lot of something else's in this town, because then Gage is like, oh my gosh, we have vampires, and we have fish monsters, like, and then that's him stepping into her shoes and he was like hey walk me home like and i mean buffy looks like oh, okay here we go but i love it i love that moment because here we have like this supposedly big strong athlete guy who's taking steroids who's like has to ask the small little blonde girl to protect him on his way home and it's just like a really neat little scene so at the school pool all the girls are watching the guys practice buffy and willow have a box of popcorn in the pool room which is hilarious gage sees buffy and waves he like stops what he's doing it's the so sweetest cute. thing i'm so sad i'm more sad about gage dying than like no, mommy girl no, I really it's am. so sad no literally so much oh potential gosh. justice for gage seriously maybe he'll come back in the reboot the one character that returns yeah Seriously. 
So Cordelia asks why Angelus – oh, yeah, we didn't talk about the fact that Angelus spit out the blood. Willow, maybe his eyes were too big for his stomach. Buffy thinks that there was something in Gage's blood. They bring up the steroids. Um, the hypothesis that it explains the behavioral changes in the winning streak. Cordelia says there's no luck on the research front. Call Xander Chicken Little before we hear a guitar riff. And oh my gosh, this is like the third or fourth slow-mo of Xander we've had in this series. Like – I'm kind of over it at this point. Um, And interestingly, Willow recognizes him before Cordelia does. Did you guys notice that? She yells, Xander. And then Cordelia's like, wait, Xander? Um, And Xander grabs a tiny surfboard to cover himself. I'm undercover, Buffy. You're not under much. (laughs) What I found most funny about this scene was the fact that Cordelia and Willow are like objectifying him. And then Buffy is just in the background like – you can clearly tell she's just throwing in jabs because she thinks it's funny. That's what mm-hmm. makes it funny is the character Buffy is just in the corner being like, not under much. And the two girls are like, they're drooling. It's yeah. So funny. <laughs> yep. The one girl that Xander probably wants to drool is not. Um, Cordelia, go before someone sees you impersonating a member of the swim team. Xander says he's part of – now part of the swim team. I figure I can keep an eye on Gage on the others where Buffy can't. Which, okay. So – I wa- I'm like split on this. I want to give Xander props for taking the initiative for doing this, but then I, part of me also can't help but feel like he's doing it because he kind of wants the prestige that comes with the swim team and stuff. I don't. I think it's fine if it's tainted with both. Like, yeah. if he wants to help her, and then also, I think it, that's not like a fatal flaw of his. There's sure. a lot of other things that get nitpick. That's true. <laughs> that's fair. Um, <laughs> and then Willow's like, "When you're nude, Buffy nudges her. I mean to say, changing." <laughs> The coach calls Xander back into the pool. Cordelia looks all proud. I'm dating a swimmer from the Sunnydale swim team. Buffy, you can die happy. Willow then tells them that Jonathan peed in the pool. Just as Cordy looks with horror as Xander jumps in and belly flops. <laughs> this is so good. She's like, wait, no. so confident. <laughs> He's just like all setting up, like being all like mentally preparing himself and then just kaplutz right as they say that he peed. Like this is gold. Like, it's so funny. timing is so good. It's really funny. Um, in case you guys want to visit any of the shooting locations, the pool scenes were filmed in the physical education building at University of Southern California. So add that to your bucket list. So in the steam room... All the guys are relaxed, except Xander just keeps talking. The camera pans down to see the monster fingers pulling up a grate. I just I feel bad say, for all those swim guys. It's also <laughs> funny because I, I, this is the one time that I could say I actually feel like I would relate to Xander in this. Like being in a room full of guys <laughs> that you know don't like you, that you don't like them. They're all naked. And then like it's like steamy and hot. And you're just like – like you want to feel the silence. Like I really relate to him. Just like – like feeling the need to like talk because he's uncomfortable oh the yeah most random thing in this episode is not necessarily you know the fishmen with their skin falling off but it's the fact that like the random famous actor from a walk to remember his, i, got that I don't too, remember his yeah. character's name yeah it's i don't i don't remember his character's name i just know that mandy moore is jamie because i just can picture the dad being like jamie um, he's just randomly sitting next to him telling him, like, that the steroids or whatever is in the steam. And I'm like, wait, what the heck? You're just casually in this episode in yeah. the steam room? Yeah, the actor Shane West, he's, um, yeah, he's got an uncredited role. And he, uh, is the, the guy, Sean, who is 
um, who Xander gets mistaken for by Cordelia. Like, that's Sean that's in the water later on in the episode. Oh, no way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's him? <laughs> yes. Oh, I gosh. put two and two together. I was like, I was cracking up. I thought that was really funny. All right, so then Buffy waits for Xander, who says that he loves the gig. 20 minutes in a hot room with a bunch of sweaty guys. And I put what in my notes? I was like, Xander, because we just had that like whole thing with Larry in phases. And I'm like, is are the writers trying to tell us something? Because I am so confused. Does Xander relate more to Larry than we thought? Buffy asks where Gage is. Xander says he's putting his shoes on. And then he taps her, tag, you're it, which I really loved. Gage smells something, which means he's going to die. I was just going to say like the whole your turn cracked me up because um, <laughs> that meant that both of them were taking off turns watching Gage because he probably was such like a, a chicken. You know, <laughs> he's so needy. Um, <laughs> he's very needy. He's like, hey, guys, can you be around me? Because I'm, I'm really scared. And so like you could tell that it was like he's tying his shoes and Xander's like, all right, I'm going to go switch out with Buffy. And he's like, okay, hurry. And then he's like, all right, your turn. <laughs> and then Buffy has to wait outside for him. It's just Don't leave so me funny. alone for too long. It really is funny. No, just a, uh, such an underused character. I thought he was so funny. And his little neediness is so funny to me. It really is. I need a whole like side episode of Gage just following Buffy around everywhere because he's too scared to walk in, on his own now that he knows that there's monsters when, in Sunnydale. But like, hear me out. Wouldn't that be funny to have a character that just like every few episodes casually was like, hey, Buffy, uh, you're you you're walking me home, right? She's like, oh, yeah, sure. And then walks home with him. Like just like because he's scared. Yeah, Buffy, instead of saving Jonathan, is constantly having to save this athlete Gage all the time. <laughs> That would be yep. funny. I'd watch that. Mm -hmm. So Buffy comes in and we have the whole fake out where Gage is screaming because he sees the monster. Buffy fights the monster. And um, but then Gage, you know, turns into the monster, which is just really sad. Buffy fights the two of them. And then one of them bites her in the arm. The coach comes in and saves her while the two fish boys slide back into the grate, which is just really weird. Those are some big grates. Um, in the nurse's room, Ruthie tells her she might need stitches and should get looked at by a doctor. Buffy and the Giles tell the coach that his boys weren't eaten, just turned into monsters. The coach says he suspected that something was up but didn't know. And Giles is all like, hey, uh, you never asked? Like, that seems a little suspicious. And the coach admits he was afraid to, which I have to say that coach is a really good liar. Like, he did a good job of covering his butt. Um, so in computer classroom, Will looks up the boys' medical records and sees that there was evidence of steroid abuse. Since steroids don't turn people into fish, they hypothesize that there must be something else in the mix. And then they're like, well, hey, the nurse treated all of them, so she must have known. Um, and Willow's all like, all right, let's go interrogate her now. And Buffy's like, nah, we'll just wait till tomorrow. She's probably gone already, which I thought, again, was like a really weird response because I feel like Buffy would have been like, yeah, like, let's go to her home. Let's talk to her. Like, it just was really weird, the kind of like, meh attitude that Buffy was taking. There was a couple of moments this episode that just felt very out of character for some people. It was weird. Um, Willow wonders why they would take steroids if they knew that they were dangerous. Buffy says they needed to win. Winning equals trophies, which equals prestige for the school. You see how they're treated. Meanwhile, I'm breaking my nails every day battling the forces of evil, and my teacher can't even remember my name. So sad. So Xander's back in the steam room again. Oh, I feel good. He's like, <laughs> I feel good. <laughs> Just Loving the swimming. Feeling in the silence. 
He's trying to like get information, but nobody's giving him anything. So he's like, all right, like guys. A room full of like 20 guys and none of them are saying a word. Like he has like a lot of guts. Like he's very brave. He just keeps going. Like I feel like I'd be so uncomfortable. I'd say like one thing. I'd whisper it to the person next to me and they'd be like, ew, what are you doing? And then I'd be like, all right, I tried. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. He's, like, full on like talking out really loud. Yeah, he's like, all right, um, loving this woman, feeling really good. Okay, had some carrot juice this morning. Little wheat germ mixed in. Woke me right up. Nothing like it. Nobody bites. He's like, all right, guys. When do we get our next dose? It was just so funny. Like, there was no subtlety at all. It was literally like, you could see him trying to, like, work it into small talk. And then when no one was doing anything, he just was like, okay, I'm going to be honest. (laughs) When are we getting it? (laughs) And then then he says, when's the next dose? No one says anything. He's like, steroids, guys. When are we getting steroids? (laughs) Well, I mean, he tried, but well, he no didn't like, say anything. No one was saying anything, and he just like escalated. <laughs> Starts talking about his day, and then he's like, "Oh yeah, and then today I did this, and then Cordelia and I went on a date, and then I came back, and, then, and he's like, where 'Where's the steroids?'" Like, anyway, I feel I'm really strong. Oh my gosh! And the fact that everybody's like laughing, like "Ha ha ha!" He should know. Like nobody told him. Like hello. So they're soaking in it, aromatherapy. It's in the steam. Xander realizes that he's been taking it all along. So then we get that shot or the next scene at the pool. The nurse is telling the coach it needs to stop. Coach Carl, are you a quitter? No room for quitters in this team. You find out he's close to perfecting the mix, that he's not actually trying to turn them into fish people, but he's trying to find the balance of where they like can swim like fish, but they're still people. Um the coach or the nurse begs them not to make it worse. And he says, they're not lost, grabs her, shoves her down the grate and says, I'm still looking out for my boys. They may be out of the game right now, but they're still a team and a team's got to eat. Seriously, hands down, probably the most disturbing scene we've seen yet, honestly. I don't know what it is about this, but it's so disturbing seeing like another human being like feeding another human being to people who used to be human. Like it's just so many layers of gross and i think this is probably why i think and gory and mm -hmm. uh, yeah that's probably why i don't like this episode too just because i don't like the premise i don't like the undertones of sexism that never gets talked about also i I didn't mention this but the coloration of the whole episode is green and green's my favorite color but it's it's very like it's supposed to be unnerving and like the color like the tint of green on television is not my favorite because it just makes you feel kind of sick watching it. Um, but then also just like Buffy has a lot of horror aspects, but they never do stuff that's disturbing, at least this thus far. I've never watched an episode of Buffy up until this point that's been disturbing. That's a I'd say specific Derek word. Derek Kinderstad was a little disturbing with the, the guy that fed on the, the kids. I think that was a little creepy. But I this think, is a well, different that was level. More, that was more horror-like, though. That's a typical horror episode. Like, wh- like when I watched the episode, I got very much like horror movie. Didn't feel like Buffy, but I wasn't – at least for me, I wasn't that disturbed. Hmm. I like – because I, I don't know, for me, I was like, oh, this is Buffy. He's not going to kill the kids. You know, like I was like, oh, it's she'll save them. And it'll be okay. But this episode is just like, like, you're totally right, Sarah. It's like, it's like these high school boys. And then they're all like wanting to kill and do other things to these people. And I'm like, ew, can we not have this like 
I just feel like they just went way too deep into it when it was already gross and disturbing. And I just could have been spared a lot of the visuals in this episode. I think it's because we actually got to know some of these guys and then Mm. they became the monsters. And so the fact that like we think about the end when Buffy gets put into the sewers, like Gage is down there. You know, and so it makes it that much oh, grosser. Don't say that. Oh, yeah. Sarah. <laughs> I'm oh, sorry. No. <laughs> I'm sorry. I thought that was That's obvious. So gross. No. Uh, well, I mean, it's in the episode. I'm sorry. No, okay, was, let's stop talking about he it. He was still. He was still shedding. He was still shedding. Gage already made it out to the ocean. That's why there's only three of them. In the yeah, end. Gage exactly. is already out there, happily living his life. Yes. Sorry to like burst everyone's bubbles, but yeah. I mean, but then I mean, Cameron was a douche in this episode for sure, but I don't see him as the main villain. I see him mostly as just incredibly misguided and has been enabled his entire life. And so his normal what's right meter is skewed, not trying to justify his actions at all. But like you get to know Cam a little bit. You get to know Gage. You get to know Dodd. There's only three of them down there and multiple boys throughout the episode have shed. We know that the random person from Walk to Remember, the beginning dude, and Cam, those three, not including Gage, have shit. So I'm going to choose to believe that those three were those men down there. Yeah. Okay. We can say that. That's fine. <laughs> um. Yeah. So then the nurse gets shoved down into the grate, yada, yada. Library Xander is freaked out from having absorbed the steroid mixture. We need to find an antidote. The clock is ticking people. And then it's revealed that Xander has been exposed three times now. Cordy, you, 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 what about me? It's one thing to date the lame, unpopular guy, but it's another to date a creature from the Black lo- or the Blue Lagoon, Xander. Blue Lagoon. The creature from the Blue Lagoon was Brooke Shields. And thank you very much for your support. <laughs> Buffy suggests locking up the rest of the swim team before they become fish. Giles suggests sending the steroid mix over to get an antidote. Willow wants to talk to the nurse. Buffy, you're really getting into this interrogation thing. Willow, the trick is to not leave any marks. Under the pool. Okay. I'm confused about, like, the structure of this. So you have, like, the pool. Then you have the room underneath the pool. And then you have, like, the sewers underneath the room underneath the pool. Like, it's very confusing. There are so many strategic episode like sewer like entrances or like just like random things where you're like this wasn't there before i swear like the (laughs) random episode where they decided to throw in like this massive like basement down below the school and then we haven't seen it since and you're like huh or was it was it i robot eugene where like everyone's stuck in like that one room in the school where like the gas is going off and then it's like apparently in the hallway have we seen that room since (laughs) i think that was the basement but yeah no i understand what you're saying so buffy's wearing she's actually wearing the same pants that she wore in phases and what she will wear in a later episode um buffy confronts the coach who says she doesn't have any proof buffy tells him to tell her what's in the steam apparently the coach got the formula from the soviet union where they used to do experiments with fish dna on olympic swimmers it's such a like they pulled this out of Talk their about butt. shoehorning yeah i know i was like what back in the soviet union i was like excuse me <laughs> Such a rant. Literally comes out of nowhere. You're like, whoa. Yep. Russia. Blame Russia. Back in the Victorian era. Yeah. The Cold War. He cracked it of sorts that he could win. Buffy, it's over. There's not going to be any swim team. The coach, boy, when they were handing out school spirit, you didn't even stand in line, did you, Buffy? No, I was in the line for a shred of sanity. 
Then the coach grabs a gun, Buffy, which you obviously skipped. Coach tells her to get in the hole, which I thought was interesting. He didn't try to force her in like with Ruth, which means he must know she has super strength. Um, Buffy jumps in as the coach leans over, says, you don't think – you think I don't care about my boys, but I do. They count on me. <sighs> you see the mutilated body of the nurse float by. Oh, and then no. he like – he – Yeah, can we not? Uh, I that, that phrase it, haunts me. It really does. Like, I just, oh my gosh. Okay, moving on. Xander and Cordelia can't find any fish monster boys and assume it's because Giles and Willow have gotten to them. Xander is concerned that his neck looks scaly. Although, honestly, I really can't blame him. I'd be freaked out too. Mm -hmm. Like, you've seen what this does. Like, it's concerning. So he goes into the mirror to check on himself and says, feel free to come in if you hear me scream. (laughs) this scene cordelia hears the door shut another door opens which we later learn is sean still facing away she asks any gills yet and then freaks out when she realizes that it's a monster and thinks it's xander and this is probably the most poignant character development that cordelia has had up until this point she says oh god xander it's me cordelia i know you can't answer me but god this this is all my fault You joined the swim team to impress me. You were so courageous and you looked really hot in those Speedos. And I want you to know that I still care about you no matter what you look like. What in the world? Who is this girl? I think think this speaks to her character because here's my take on Cordelia. As of right now, I think that she feels uncomfortable showing her softer side in front of other Mm -hmm. people because she wants to remain the same in front of other people. I think that she's been changing for Mm -hmm. a while. You see it in small ways. She gets affected when Xander doesn't give her attention and or when he says some backhanded things. You saw her in the um, Killed by Death episode where she had that whole like great like calling out Xander moment. Um, She's very emotionally aware. A lot more than she used to be, at least. And I think that this shows more for her character because no one was around. And she said all these things to him, and she didn't have to. She could have ran away. And I think this is the real Cordelia that we're seeing right here. And the fact that she's like, oh, I'll still date you. She's like, but I understand if you want to see other fish. <laughs> yeah. She's like, oh, I'm going to do what I can to make sure you're happy. I'll bring you toys. Yeah, make sure your quality of life is better. Like, dude, she's being so kind and she's also treating mm-hmm. him how she would want to be treated. And like, this is a Cordelia who cared so much about social status and what someone looks like and all this other stuff. Like, obviously, she's excited that he's on the swim team, but she's like – she cares about Xander. And I think this is like, remember what we've been talking about the whole, like they've been doing a lot of like, like they'll make out and stuff, but they don't actually talk about stuff. This is the first time that they're act- like Cordelia is actually talking about this. So it's a huge jump. So then Xander pops up, said, Cordy, that's not me. And like the, the music as she's talking again is supposed to be played off as laughs. And it's the same thing as we were talking about with that Buffy episode. But this is a huge character moment for Cordelia. It feels like nobody recognizes it. Yep. All right. So they go into the library. Giles and Willow have rounded up the rest of the swim team. This cracked me up. They're all like, (laughs) being forced to go. And they're all kind of like mumbling. Like, what are we doing? They're like, why are we (laughs) (laughs) They're like, smells like wolf in here werewolf they're all like put in the, an oz's cage but then, oh but then also like 
like Cordy's like, oh, we he was in the pool, skinless yeah. dipping. <laughs> no, no, genius writing. <laughs> yep. Oh my gosh. And and Giles is like, stay calm, chaps. Either we'll find an effective antidote, or uh. And then he just kind of walks away. Stay calm. Like he's telling the, like fifteen <laughs> dudes to stay in a cage and stay calm because they might have an antidote. I'd be like, no, thank you. Um, Willow has a checklist, said they found everyone except for Sean, which is the guy in the pool. Then they figure out that Buffy hasn't come back yet. And um, Buffy's still in that weird watery sewers under the basement, under the pool. Okay. And again, this is this, this, this bit of dialogue that she says right here is where it's like, okay, this is not a joking matter. This is not funny. Like, why are you doing this? Like, it just, like, yep. the, timing of this episode is just off like she says it's it's the tone yeah this is just what my mm-hmm. reputation needs that i did it with the entire swim team no that's not funny no that's it's not not, not at no. all no like the comment beforehand this one and then a comment later are all supposed to be joking and or in a satirical ma- like notion and i'm like no this isn't funny why are we joking about that but it's yeah. also like uh can we please make the difference between the fact that Buffy is not going to have sex with them. Yeah. She would have yep. been yep. molested. Yes. And raped by them. Yeah. And that's killed. not sex. This yeah, isn't Buffy consenting to this. No, yeah. not at all. Exactly. Yep. And it, it just feels especially dirty that Buffy's saying it because it feels like Buffy wouldn't actually say this. It feels like the writers are making her. So it feels mm-hmm. like, again, an out of character moment, which kind of pulls me out of the episode. Um. Yeah, and I said I I appreciate Buffy's sense of humor, but it feels like the writers are making jokes at Buffy's expense, especially mm-hmm. in light of how her earlier close call was handled. Like she yeah. literally was nearly sexually assaulted in this episode, and then now we have this. No, not okay at all. Um, the fish boys circle around Buffy's feet underwater. Xander confronts the coach, which confuses me that only Xander came. Like, I don't understand why Giles and Willow didn't come as well. Like, it's just Xander. But they're all with the swim team. <laughs> yeah, they're trying to, like, find the antidote. Um, the coach is just sitting there looking down the grate, like, smiling, chuckling, like he's going to watch this. Ew, 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 ew. Yeah, it was a little disgusting. Yeah, I was, I was a little disgusted by it. Xander asks where Buffy is. The coach eyes the gun, which is on the barrel just behind Xander. Then we have the flashbacks back and forth between Buffy fighting off the fish monsters while Xander wrestles the coach away from the gun. Xander reaches down and offers Buffy his hand as Buffy jumps up, grabs it, kicks off multiple fish boys. Um, Buffy thinks Xander just doing my part for our team, which I thought was kind of a cool way to like round out that whole thing. Um, the coach appears behind Xander, knocks him out with a wrench, which that could have killed Xander. Those things are not light at all. Buffy trips him, causing the coach to fall into the hole. And to her credit, she really does try to get him back Mm -hmm. up, but he slips. And then, like, then there's this moment afterwards. I hate this line. Again, making light of it. And I'm like, huh? Who approved, like, these lines at the end? I don't, I... What's the line at the end? I don't remember. Buffy says those boys really love their coach. Oh, yep. That's really again gross. not something Buffy would like seeing and or make light of. It doesn't seem like Buffy for someone who well, was just trying to like rescue traumatizing. him. Well, yep. And it's like she just went through that too. Like, yep. I don't think Buffy would ever rejoice in someone. Yeah, the ideas were all supposed is- to be okay with it because he was the villain of it. But it's like, 
no, no. across the board, that's not okay. <laughs> like, it's just – yeah, and I mean, it, it is up for interpretation. It could mean like they're eating him or something, but like it, it's very much implied as just, ugh, I don't know. I asked Andrew, I was like, hey, Andrew, I was joking. I was like, hey, you want to like come be on the podcast? We have an opening. You can be on the next episode. He's like, which one is it? I was like, go fish. He's like, I hate that episode. He's like, that's the, <laughs> yep. he's like, yep. that's the gang rape one. I don't like it. I was like, I know. <laughs> it's awful. Yeah, that's really creepy. That's all so he remembers. Because it's like, we really like, all of us love Buffy so much. I mean, we have a whole freaking podcast about it. We talk about how much we love it. <laughs> no. But it's like, then there's episodes like this and it's like, dang it, Buffy, you make it really hard for me sometimes <laughs> to defend you when these are the episodes that sometimes people watch and they remember yeah. them. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't blame you for not liking a show if this is all you've seen. Yeah, exactly. And I mean, people talk about how, oh, we needed a lighter episode before we go into the finale. I'm like, this is not this the is lightness not that I want. <laughs> no. Yeah. I would have rather had a Becoming One Part Two and Three than having this freaking episode. Yeah. Yep. So in the school lounge, Xander has to make up all his tests and get a plasma transfusion to get out all of the fish mix in his system. Willow says that Giles is confident that treatments will work, which I'm cracking up because we've seen how long it's taken to find a vaccine for COVID. And they came up with that antidote really freaking fast. Cordelia, I want you to know that you've really proven yourself to me. And if you don't have to, and you don't have to join the new team next year, if you don't want, I'd be just as happy if you played football. Which okay, <laughs> she she the girl is really like putting herself out there. It'd be really yeah. nice if we had Xander over here mm-hmm. reciprocating this because yeah. I feel. But I like- also feel like this is one of those lines where I'm like, okay, that is the sarcasm in the episode. That's good. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. That yes. like feels natural and it doesn't have to do with rape or like sexual assault like it's, it's like bare minimum it's not high here <laughs> the bar is very low seriously giles shows up says that animal control was not able to get the fish monsters as they have escaped okay would animal control even be able to do anything with these guys like i don't think that they were sufficiently equipped to be able to yeah, they really were thinking that one through the last time we saw anima control they were here just to get snakes out of the cafeteria oh, like huge difference here willow asks if they have to hunt them and buffy probably thinking about her conversation with cam and his love for the ocean confidently like way too confidently in my opinion for fish monsters that kill and rape people says that she doesn't think they will see them anymore Giles, where do you think they'll go? Buffy, home. She's very confident that they'll never hurt someone again. Like, what if they reproduce? Like, I'm just not comfortable with them being out there in the ocean. Yeah, but also, like, what do they eat besides human? Oh, is if I need another fish. reason not to go <laughs> to the ocean. The ocean. <laughs> if I it's lived like in this world, I'd be like, like yep. <laughs> give me a shark. Give me Jaws. Never, <laughs> never leaving my house. Yeah. That's just like, ugh, that's terrifying. When we get a glimpse of the ocean, we see the three fish monsters swimming very <laughs> this poorly. Is funny. Yeah. Very poorly. <laughs> if it can be called swimming. I also got a little scared for the actors, though, because they're wearing full on suits. I'm like, how are you breathing in the ocean? That's kind of scary. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but we didn't see the front of them. So maybe like their faces were exposed as mm. they were going into the ocean, you know? Feels like the end of Teacher's Pet with the eggs. Gosh, I really hope we never see these guys again because That's I'm so done. That's what I was about so to say done. is like, 
That's what I was about to say. It was like, it's one of those like cliffhangers that you really were like, this is not really necessary. Like, we didn't need to leave this one on a cliffhanger. I really, really would have been okay if we just leave the pervy animals to die. Like, that's my one wish is just kill off the pervy animals. I mean, if anything, what we've seen so far is that the Buffyverse only shows one consistent monster every week, which is vampires. And every other random demon that we see, even if she's killing them in an episode, we only see them look like that once. So I'm yeah. hoping, as someone who's already seen the show, that we'll never see these specific demons anymore. So, yeah. Well, I, I think it's made worse by like the music is very much like, will we see them again as they're going in? We're just like, it was oh, very gosh. creepy. I was like, this is it not was very feeling creepy. like a Buffy episode. Like everyone didn't really feel like in their character as much, except for Cordy. Um, and it just it didn't it didn't seem like a Buffy episode. It was very like like green tinted, very like you feel gross watching it. Everything feels out of body and Giles was barely fun. in it. Willow seemed like a more of an extreme version of herself yeah. as well. Yeah, it just was a, it was very different, and it makes a lot of sense because I mean the episode was written to be earlier on in the season. So it feels more like an earlier season two episode than a late season two episode. And unfortunately, this episode, and I think even like Killed by Death, are because they're they come so late in the in the season, they're often hailed, or like the back half of season two is often hailed as like really bad. When you have some super solid episodes, you know, like um I only have eyes for you. And, um, you know, obviously passion and all that other stuff. But then there's this one. And so then everybody gives back half a season to a bad rap because of episodes specifically like this one. But we did it, you guys. We got through it. We can go on to becoming now. Woohoo. I'm so proud of us. So that was Go Fish. So glad to be done with that. We're curious what you guys think of it. Do you like the episode? I know it is typically on people's like least favorite episodes list, but I'm wondering if there's anybody out there who loves it, who wants to defend it. What do you guys think about the themes? Um, do you do you feel like the episode was trying to delve into deeper themes about sexual assault and stuff and just didn't handle it correctly? Or do you think it sometimes got muddled? Um, I'm curious about what your guys' thoughts are. Um, as always, you can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast, or you can email us Becoming Buffy Podcast at gmail.com. We're also actually now on Tumblr, Becoming Buffy Podcast, and I'll be posting more of my um, posts on over there and I'm probably going into a little bit more detail since Instagram kind of only lets me go. They have a post limit, but you guys can find us over there. Definitely reach out to us, let us know your thoughts, and we are so excited to see you guys next time for Becoming. With that, guys, have a great week. Hi, Scoobies. Welcome back to Becoming Buffy. This is our spoiler section of Go Fish. Um, So you should probably buckle in for this episode because since it's such a methodical, deep... (laughs) Um, hard episode to digest we will have so much to talk about um so just prepare yourself i think i can already feel the headache that's gonna come from just trying to like process all of the hard like dialogue and um oh i just broke a
I was just hanging out with uh, my hanger. And you just and broke, broke your hanger. Tabby's like, I like, yes, I love this episode so much. She like cracks I know. it. I'm really trying to like convince myself. I'm like squeezing this hanger. Your body knows you, you're lying. I'm not even being dramatic when I'm saying that I legitimately have like the least amount of spoiler stuff I've ever had for any episode ever. Yeah. 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 There's not much. But before we get into everything, just a reminder, this is the spoilers section. We will be talking all things spoilers for the rest of the series, as well as for the series Angel. So if you don't want to know anything, go ahead and just get off now, and we'll see you next week. All right. Now that that's out of the way, man, this is a weird episode to have for the end of season two. Yeah, pretty much. And I think it's so weird because it's like, one, it has the vibe of season one very much. And not it, it, the bad parts of season one, but it's also just like it's so weird because it's at the height of the drama going on with Angel, and so it's like, oh my gosh, what's gonna happen with Angel? Is like, are is Buffy gonna have to kill him? Blah blah blah, and then it's like, and go fish. It's like what? Like yeah, we don't care yeah. about random like rapey fish. Like we want to see <laughs> Angelus. Um, I've been reading through my new book that a ton of people on Instagram have recommended. It's called Slayers and Vampires, The Complete Uncensored Unauthorized Oral History of Buffy and Angel by Edward Gross or Gross. It's, it's spelled like Gross, but I'm just going to say Gross because I don't think anybody would want their last name to be Gross. Apologies if it is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Mark <laughs> Altman. But it's really interesting because it's basically just an entire book of interviews from different people on the different seasons of Buffy and stuff. And um, I found one by David Fury, and he's the guy who wrote this episode. And I thought it was really interesting. He says, they weren't quite sure where the episode would fit in talking about Go Fish because it was very much a standalone episode. And after Angel's turn where he sleeps with Buffy is when the show becomes so rich and emotional. The metaphor of the first guy you sleep with becoming an asshole. As soon as you let him into your pants, he becomes a complete dick. That was a fantastic metaphor. They reached the depth they hadn't reached before in terms of the characters. Suddenly, our little fish story felt frivolous and out of place. Mm. And then he went on to say, I thought this was like really funny. He goes, when they finally said, we're going to put Go Fish at the end of the second season when the whole season was coming to a climax with Spike and Drusilla and Angel killed Jenny. It was tough to have emotional grounding to an episode that was meant to be a funny lark, and it felt out of place. The fact was that Joss and David were thrilled with it, and that's all we cared about at that time. When they called, they called gleefully from the trailer they were jumping up and down with happiness that was the greatest feeling to know we had nailed the first hour of television we had ever written having only done sitcoms and animated series prior to that it was a big deal for us and it was really exciting and so we had that to hang on to even as a lot of fans trashed it and then he goes on to say on its own merits it's a fun episode but i'm with fans when i say that's the last thing you want to see when all this great stuff is happening on the show and you really want to bring it to the climax and you get this little side trip where angel has one tiny scene in the episode and it's inconsequential people are just going what is this episode we're watching we want to see angel and buffy and we weren't seeing it and i thought that was really interesting that the writer of the episode acknowledges that his own episode kind of got overshadowed by the fact of where it was placed in the season. And I thought that was interesting. And I think kind of cool that he recognizes that. I think it's like, that would suck too as a writer to like pour so much into an episode and then kind of like get screwed over by like 
sucky placement. I respect his self-awareness when it comes to the episode. For me personally, it's not necessarily the placement. It's just the episode. I don't love how – I mean, we talked about all this in the Unbelievable section. But it's like they kind of gloss over some serious issues like that were kind of like – under the up umbrella of just like an odd premise of an episode. And you're like, you can't really do that. Um, did I love the episode? Absolutely not. I think, but it's also <laughs> like, n- <laughs> it's like right before like the, in my book, like the two episodes that are in like my top 10. Yeah. So yeah. it's just kind of, it's an odd placement, but I also hate the episode. So it's like both for me. Yeah. And it, and I don't know that it's necessarily all placement, because we have bad eggs, which comes right before surprise and innocence. Yeah. And uh, granted, and it's works. not a, an, a great episode, but it's not like Go Fish. For sure, Go Fish is the least – it's the worst episode for this season for me personally. Oh, yeah. Hands but down. it's like if you're going to do a quote-unquote lighthearted episode before a very heavy one, which I think which is what they were trying to do, again, don't put heavy like metaphors and not do it justice – yeah. In like satirical form right yeah. before – I don't know. It's just like – because like Bad Fish was like the metaphor was way more light and it was just kind of supposed to be silly because you're like, oh, Buffy the Vampire Slayer is so innocent. And then the next one is like, you know, cuts you right in the jugular. So I know you didn't mean to say Bad Fish, but I'm going to start using that to refer to this episode <laughs> from now on. <laughs> <laughs> you said bad fish instead oh, did of go I say fish. Bad yeah. fish. <laughs> yeah. I didn't even notice. That's funny. Um, we're just gonna All right, I'm going to say that from now Seriously. on. Seriously. Good for me. Right? Good for me. <laughs> um, all right. So let's talk a little bit about it. Um, really fun fact. So David Fury, Tabs, you're going to love this. Do you know what other episodes he's written? Are they on the same caliber? Um, no. One of them is oh, your favorite better? episode. My favorite episode. I don't even know what you think my favorite episode is. Can I guess? Well, oh, you've mentioned this a couple of times. I thought it was your ultimate favorite, but maybe it's just one of your favorites. Because I don't, me one of your favorite I don't know if I could say it's my favorite, but I two of my two of one of my favorite underappreciated episodes are in season three. One two, of them amends. Two of one of my favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I am man, I'm speaking out of turn tonight. Two of my favorite episodes. That are underappreciated are in season three. One of them, Amends. Okay. And one of them, mm-hmm. Beauty and the Beast. Both of them are so underrated. Are they okay, those well, two? Well, it's neither one of those. Wait, it's let me go one of those. Again. again. Go ahead. Uh, oh, Helpless. I love Helpless. Yes, he mm-hmm. wrote Helpless. I no way. Helpless yeah. is so underrated. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't care. I follow a few people on um, YouTube that react to Buffy, and a lot of the comments of Buffy fans don't really care for Helpless, and I'm so shocked. I think it's such an excellent hmm. episode. I love what it. What the heck? What doesn't care for Helpless? I just yeah. love the, the horror tropey, like creepy vibe to it. They do oh, it yeah. so well. The little red riding yeah. hood. Yes, absolutely. Well, it's funny because David Fury, he talks about all the time how like he didn't mean to get Giles fired. Like he had a little um idea. He was like, Hey, like we'll have the council be involved and like Giles will get fired, but then he'll just get rehired the next um the next week or whatever, or like at the end of the episode. And Joss was like, Oh my gosh, I love that idea so much. We're gonna get him permanently fired from the council and we're gonna bring in this new character, Wesley. Mm. So if it wasn't for David Fury, they wouldn't have brought in Wesley, which is really cool. I think I knew that. It would have changed a lot of uh the show Angel too, because Wesley becomes 
like such mm-hmm. an thank you david fairy angel yeah yeah no he really is a good writer i think this one in particular he and he says this too like he started to write this episode back um it like when season two was just starting. So Mm. the show hadn't reached the emotional depth that it did by the end of season two. And so he realized, oh, this is kind of out of place, but they love it. So they put it in. But yeah, it is what it is. Um, Okay, so other fun facts about David Fury. He's also responsible for the idea of the potentials. Um, and he he takes full responsibility, both positive and negatively, for that. He goes, I think it was a really – like he wanted to do kind of a – I think he said like a James Bond-esque type thing where at the very beginning of the season of season seven, you start to see like all these girls getting killed around the world. Like mm. the idea is they're like spies. And then it was supposed to kind of go into the emotional resonance of that. And then obviously things kind of took off from there. Um, but I – I personally like the idea of the potentials. I think that um, season seven was stretched thin. It had a lot going on, but I think the idea of the potentials was really good. I agree. So I like the ideas. potentials. I think that they hyper-focused well, on the potentials, but mm-hmm. I think that the potentials themselves was really cool. And I mean, it, it ended up being uh, helping towards an ending that I actually like. Exactly. No, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, David Fury even says that too, you know? I love the um the beginning of season seven where you don't know why all these girls are being killed. Because uh, when Leah and I were watching season seven last year, um, she was very confused. And I loved watching that because I forgot about it. And I was like, oh, like, I don't know. I just love the suspense. And I think that like Reptile Boy is severely hated on. Do I love the monster? Absolutely not. But it kind of gives me similar vibes in the beginning of like a girl like being chased out of like mm. a um mm-hmm. a house by all these people or and that one it's like the cloaked boys and then um, yeah they do kind of look like bringers mm-hmm. but I think that's I I love that in the first few episodes I think this is totally going on a weird turn but um the beginning <laughs> and end of season seven I think are really strong I think it's just the middle that I don't love. I think every time I'm, oh, you start season seven, I'm like, ugh. And then the first few episodes, I'm like, okay, yay, this is really good. And then it kind of like lulls a little bit in the middle. And then towards the end, it gets really good again. The first third of season seven is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. And then after that, it starts to waver. And then the last, with the exception of the last two episodes of Buffy, yeah, I've said the last two episodes of season seven are, are good, but the episodes right before that, like five or six of them, you're just like, oh my gosh, yeah. what are you doing right now? I mean, yeah. we could talk about season seven when we get there because I know that we all have a lot of opinions about season seven. Um, but I will say that's crazy that the writer like made like some of the best episodes and some of the worst. Like, Yeah, well, I, I don't know that it's like – yeah, so the worst. And two, like everybody says, like Joss goes back and rewrites a lot of stuff. So I don't know how much of it is David Fury. Yeah. I don't know how much of it is Joss and, you know, or the other writers that pitch in and stuff. But um, another fun fact about David Fury, he's the only other person to write a season finale other than Joss. Can you guys think season about which four. season finale it is? Nope. Oh, yeah, what? no, not at all. Restless – Joss definitely wrote season four. Season yeah, three. I know he wrote that one. I'm going to say season six. Season three? Season Grave. six. Yeah. Seems like his Whoa. style. Couldn't tell you why, but it seems like his style. Because here's the thing. All the other ones seem like they're Joss written. And season six, even though I, lo- I love Grave, I think it's highly emotional, it definitely has a different vibe to it. Not a bad one. I think – 
Grave is an excellent, excellent episode. I always cry at the end of Grave. Um, but I'm a wimp for Alison Hannigan crying. Anytime she cries, I cry. Mm-hmm. But um, like I think it just has a different feel to it. It feels very much like eerie and like like uh, uncomfortable to watch in the best way. And it definitely feels like the only one out of the seven that isn't. I mean, I don't know if all of them are directed by Joss. I'm guessing that they are. But – Yes, they are all directed and they are all um, written by Joss with the exception of Grave. Yeah. Yep. Yep, yep. And I mean, that was because Joss was working on Firefly. I think it was like the pilot of Firefly at that point. And so he – David Fury had jokingly mentioned it to him and was like, hey, like you're really busy. I should do it or whatever. And then Joss came up to him and was like, hey, if you're serious about that, like I'm really busy. And so, yeah, I just thought that was kind of interesting. All right, so let's talk about how this episode is amazing for the character development of Cordelia. I think that is probably the biggest takeaway of this episode is Cordelia and her speech to Xander. It's honestly one of the only redeeming parts about this episode is like how much Cordelia growth we see and just how much Cordelia screen time we get as well. Like, I mean, obviously, there's that whole pool scene where she's, like, spewing her heart out and talking about how she doesn't care about looks, which, like, I feel like we've talked a lot about, like, um, how we've seen Cordelia grow and stuff and the character she becomes and all that. But I feel like this is the type of Cordelia that we see in Angel, the one who doesn't care mm-hmm. about looks, the one who just, like, cares about people so deeply and is very honest and blunt. And it's like... I feel like this is like something where it's like now we're getting to the real Cordelia, like the one that just cares so deeply about people. I have um, a question for you guys, and I just thought about this like a couple days ago about the character Cordelia. So you mentioned a few – I don't know what episode it was, but it was in the season. Oh, I think you're talking about Jenny and the concept of women being fridged, right? Yeah, women in refrigerators. Yeah, fridging. Yeah. Um, I personally think that Cordelia's character is overlooked as being a, f- a fridged character. I don't know how to say that. In season three, after the breakup. And I get really mad because there was a lot of character development that happened with her. And then as soon as Xander cheats on her, the latter half of season three, she's going back to being sporadically in random episodes and a side character like how she was in season one and she's only ever bitter in the end of season three. Um, I just kind of get upset because I think that like she was going on this trajectory and I'm glad that she like left Buffy because she could have her full arc in Angel. But as a character in Buffy, like halfway through season three, after her relationship with Xander, she was sidelined and just like kind of back to the Cordelia. We all kind of like are like, oh, like, we wish that she had stayed the same and or like gotten more airtime and continued to be the Cordelia that we had been seeing. Yeah. I don't know. I kind of disagree. I feel like I definitely think we we should have seen more of Cordelia in season three. Um, I mean, I always want more, more Cordelia <laughs> in the show. But like, but I just feel like the way that she handled everything with Xander was like sometimes I think she was a little mean, but I also think it showed 
so much growth in comparison to how she handled it in season three versus how she would have handled it at the beginning of the show. It's so interesting that you bring that up, Tabs, because again, I was reading through that book today because I got it in the mail. So one of the quotes that I was reading about specifically in season three was from Charisma Carpenter. And we're going to definitely talk about this more in depth and in detail when we get to season three. But this quote just really stuck out to me. This book was written like a, a little while ago. So it was written before all of the accusations and everything came out. And this is what Charisma had to say about her character in season three. She said, I remember in the first season how when fans came to set or come to our location that they were there to see Willow and, of course, Buffy. No one was looking for Cordelia. I say it because she was Mm. so mean. I remember the difference when I made the jump between Buffy and Angel and she became more fleshed out. First of all, they love to hate her. And at some point, I think it was in season three of Buffy. It was during the homecoming episode. And I have to do this spatula thing where I'm swatting the air with my spatula and Buffy is looking at me like, God help me. And I remember just going to Joss and David and saying, I'm so tired of being the damsel in distress, the stupid one, the idiot. Like, that's such a good idea. I had all these ideas about Cordelia. Like, why does she have to be such a slut and making out all the time? And I don't like that. I don't like this image. I probably said only those two things in the entirety of the series. And I remember being shut down so succinctly. Joss said to me, but that's why America loves you. I was like, okay, I'll just keep doing that then. Honestly, I never felt that fan love for the first three seasons of Buffy. I would go everywhere and people knew I was on the show, but people would never come up to me. I guess I was a very convincing bitch. People even to this day on Twitter never call me by name. They call me Cordy or Cordelia. It's silly. I laugh at it, but then it's hard from tweets to discern whether they're doing it to be sarcastic. It's a beloved character, and I'm so grateful that she's finally beloved. It took a while for people to warm up to her. That makes me really sad because I get people thinking that way Um, Not that I agree, but I'm saying that I can see how people think that way because of how Cordelia is seen in Buffy. Mm -hmm. And I think that – I think the way they wrote Cordelia's character in Buffy does not make sense to me. Hmm. I think that she is such a strong character. So when they give her moments of her not knowing how to fight well or to like take advantage of like um, her strengths, they do it in such a – like – it makes no sense for Cordy's character. Like I just think of um and helpless because we're just thinking about that episode when that dude throws Buffy and she like slides off into like the um uh the seat and she like hurts herself and Cordelia just kind of uses her elbows to kind of like hit him. Whereas I'm like if Cordelia was an actual person and how they've written her she'd full on like shove him or like punch him or whatever because Cordelia is that way. But why do they have to make her seem like kind of wimpy in that situation like there's just small things where i'm like doesn't make sense for cordy's character see i think there's moments i understand cordelia and i think she's an incredibly layered and nuanced character that it takes um i think being older to kind of see that uh for me at least because i when i was younger i did not see her as three-dimensional and as i've gotten older i'm like wow like there's a lot of great moments i think there's there's little things of strength like even in the um the prom episode when she stands up to the cowboy guy and is like you know uh if if you're so scared about the slayer like what do you think if you were to like come after me or whatever and like I think there's moments in there where Cordelia shows its strength. It's just, it's really sad because like, I didn't read, I won't read it to you guys right now. We'll get into it in season three, but the two um, interviews or the two uh, little 
blips that Charisma Carpenter says right before this, um, this one I just read. She's talking about how she worked stinking hard and she was struggling with hitting her mark and all this stuff. And she talks about how like it was very hard for her to like learn her lines. She says, I would, I would cry all the time because the obstacles were so hard and then she didn't know it, but at the time it was anxiety. And she talks about how like her anxiety kept her from really enjoying um, the role of Cordelia. And I mean, she's very careful in how she mentions in this it, in this book, but if you have Joss over there being abusive mm-hmm. and telling you that he mm-hmm. doesn't really like you or not involving you into the with the the circle of in kids or whatever, then yeah, that's going to reflect on your character and you're not going to feel the freedom to um, be creative or pour into your character like you want to. And it's just, I'll read it when we get to season three, but it's just really heartbreaking because you can tell that she poured so much into this character and she really did like she worked hard and she did the best that she could, but she wasn't really appreciated and she felt like her character wasn't really appreciated either. Yeah. That's so sad. Poor girl. I should explain a little bit more. I get Cordelia. I think she's a three-dimensional character. I'm just saying that the way that they painted her sometimes was inconsistent. Mm. Um, Like, I think that they showed as Charisma showed her as a very strong, self-aware character and emotionally intelligent. And yet the stuff that she was saying, I was like, but this doesn't make sense to what we see you as. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. You're seeing like there's little moments where she'll like say things and she'll seem stupid. And you're like, but we've yeah. seen, we've seen that I'm she's like, more smart not- than this. Yeah. Yes. More and smart. I didn't explain <laughs> that well in the beginning. But I think that like, like I always viewed her as more than what the – writing was trying to make gotcha. her ass. And so I think that's why I'm very frustrated in season three because she was very much diminished in season three as Xander's girlfriend. Mm. She didn't seem like Cordy to me after they broke up. She seemed very like, I don't know. Yeah. I, I just don't know how to explain I it. I know like, what you're saying. She didn't seem like the same Cordy. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting because if you look at Spike, I would argue and say that they did the same thing with Spike because we see moments where Spike is very emotionally intelligent and can like the whole like fool for love speech where he talks to – um uh, mm-hmm. what I forget what episode it is, but he talks to um, Buffy and Angel about how they'll never be friends. And then, you know, you also have him- Lover's Walk. Yeah, Lover's Walk. Thank you. And then you also have him just kind of like bumbling around, around sometimes in season four and five, but then he has these like emotional, clear, emotionally clear moments. You also see that with Anya as well. So like, I think sometimes it's the writers trying to balance that like, oh, this person is supposed to be the comic relief, and but they're also supposed to tell Buffy that she's stupid, but we need them to be kind of funny. We need him to kind of be versatile and so it leads to some inconsistencies sometimes with the characters and here here's my beef with a lot of writers what makes me frustrated and this is what you have to do you have to be flexible when you're a writer producer director if you see it's the whole show not tell thing if a character is starting like as the actor or actress is starting to portray a character a certain way that's how they're changing the character and you have to write them that way. You have to bring them in that trajectory rather than trying to be like, no, you're this way and writing them because sometimes it can be inconsistent because you're giving off different vibes sometimes. Yeah. Sometimes it works, but then it's like like James Marsters played Spike in a very different way than was written. So it's like, okay, you have to evaluate. Either change how James Marsters is doing mm-hmm. it or you have to kind of like change the script. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing with like Charisma. Like she played Cordelia in my opinion, way better than how she's written. But they still try to hold her down in, in like a very two-dimensional way. And I was like, guys, Christmas playing her in a very 
methodical and I think she did an excellent job as like kind of like what you're saying Sarah like when I first watched it growing up growing up meeting in high school I didn't see Cordelia at all in a three-dimensional way but I also didn't know much about the depth of people or myself at that yeah. time and then I got older and then I rewatched, and I was like crap this girl is hurting this girl is really intelligent this girl is really like emotionally intelligent all these things and i didn't notice it but then it's like again for me it's very frustrating watching season three because i think she gets diminished a lot yeah yeah well and at that point they just didn't really know what to do with her because she was no longer xander's girlfriend yeah. and it didn't make sense for her to mm-hmm. continue to hang out with the gang so in a lot of ways it made a lot of sense for her to move on to angel um yeah it was very yeah. realistic but so, I don't know. That's fair. Yeah, I yeah, it is it is a bummer, especially at the end of season three, because you start to miss Cordelia. They have to kind of find creative ways mm-hmm. of getting her into the episode. But speaking of Cordelia and the show Angel, this episode Go Fish is referenced in Angel season three, the episode Carpe Noctum, which is I hate this episode. It's the creepy episode where Angel body swaps with that old man who just wants to have sex. Do you guys remember that one? I don't remember that one. Okay. I think I blocked it Yeah, out. yeah. Um, and then Angel and Cordy ask about steroids and if anyone is green and scaly, which I think it's really funny that that episode is not great and it like is – like it of mentions it this one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yep. All right. Let's talk about Willow in this episode because I feel like there is some major foreshadowing and some really interesting moments yeah. to Dark Willow. Specifically, like you have Snyder who's forcing Willow to tutor um, – or not tutor, to overlook Cam's – is it Cam or Gage? It overlook Gage's grades. And then later in, in Doppelgangland, Snyder will force Willow to tutor Percy. And Doppelgangland is an episode all about Willow's other side. And I think I'm so excited when we get to that one because that's going to be interesting. I thought about that too. Yeah. Gage mm-hmm. and Percy have similar vibes. I mentioned uh, a character yes. in season three that I feel like is so underrated. I'm a Percy stan. I'm so upset that like they they like didn't bring him back and or just like had him like a, a random character. Yeah. And like season four a little bit because he's in one episode, but he was kind of a douchebag. And I was like, nah, Percy. Yeah. But but there's so many. I love Percy. There's so many moments you have um, when Willow talks about like, uh, Giles says nothing was left but skin and cartilage. Buffy says something ripped him open and ate out his insides. And Willow's like, like an Oreo cookie. I kept thinking about Warren because Willow ends up flaying Warren. And I just like, it's just like. The fact that that doesn't like completely disgust and disturb Willow. I mean, obviously there's people that can be like, oh, you know, that doesn't bother me too much and they won't go on to flay actual people. But it's interesting in the, in the, when we think about Dark Willow. Um, also, I really want to talk about how Willow treats Jonathan in that moment, specifically because both Willow and Jonathan go to become the big bads of season six. And I think it's so interesting how she, like you have this whole character arc where she's um, talking to him about like, oh, what does she say? She says, you hated being pushed around by Dodd and the others. You wanted revenge, didn't you? You resented it. You delved into the black arts and conjured up a hell beast from the ocean's depths to wreak your vengeance. Um, and it's interesting because – Which is both of which them. Which is both of them. And I saw a fan mm-hmm. theory that was like, 
I bet you Jonathan had never thought about dark arts or anything until after Willow mentions this. And they were like, I wonder if Willow planted the seeds for Jonathan to eventually start delving into that. Because you see in season six, when he's with Warren and Andrew, how he's able to actually like use magic to create spells and stuff to change people's appearances. Um, and they were like, we, we wonder. And then the whole superstar, how he actually changes everybody's perception mm-hmm. of himself. And it's so interesting, the parallels mm-hmm. between Jonathan and Willow. Um, I mean, let's talk about Jonathan's character development for a minute. You know, like from Inca Mummy Girl, his the first time we see him, to this episode, to Earshot, to the prom superstar, and then all of season six. Jonathan is a very realistic but tragic character. Um, he's someone that wants to fit in and belong and is never quite accepted by the Scooby gang and wants to do good yet gets mixed up in the wrong crowd. And it's ultimately his desire to be accepted and have friends that is what kills him in the end because he gets mixed up in the wrong crowd. And I just, I really Mm -hmm. like Jonathan. I think he's a very well thought out character. There are moments where I'm like, oh, Jonathan, but you see glimpses of good in him. Again, it's like, it's the whole like metaphor as, of like um, who you hang out with reflects who you are and or motivates and like influences you. And he's a huge depiction of that. I don't think he's a bad dude. You think you see moments of him feeling guilty and or not wanting to go through certain things. I'm not at all like justifying a lot of stuff that he does in season six. Um but I don't think he would have gotten there if he hadn't hung out with Warren and Andrew. Yeah. And you see him even stand up to them at certain times. Like he's the one that wants to turn them in. Yeah, they recognize sure. he's the weak link. He ultimately tells Buffy how to defeat Warren with the orbs and stuff. So I yeah. think that Jonathan mm-hmm. deep down wants to do the right thing, but he wants people to like him more and he just wants to belong. Um, I think he's very realistic. I think he's the type of guy that if – he had, and this is not to put blame on the Scooby gang because they are not responsible to be friends with every single person at Sunnydale High. But I think if he had actually been friends with the Scooby gang, he would have gone down a very different path. And so I think in a lot of ways, Jonathan is kind of a, um, who maybe Xander and Willow would be if they hadn't met Buffy in a lot of ways. Yeah. I don't know about Willow, but definitely Xander. I feel like Willow meeting Buffy kind of exposed her to a lot of darker things that I don't think she would have ever thought mm. about. And I'm not saying that's Buffy's fault, but I think right. that it definitely it opened doors. It opened her world. Yeah, yeah. I just thought about that whole interrogation speech when she's talking to Jonathan. Yeah. Um. Rather than like your perception of like what, um, it, how it reflects both their characters in season six, I just kept thinking like when. She's chasing down both of them with like the bus behind and he's in the car and he's saying, I just can't believe it's Willow. She's always been. And then he pauses and says, well, Willow. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I don't know. It's just, it's such a, I love when the show uses characters to say things and how the audience feels. Mm-hmm. And that's one of those moments that we all are thinking, we're like, this is like Willow. Mm-hmm. Like you watch the first season and you're like, Oh, like Willow. But then it's like you look at season six and seven and you're like, this is the same character. And I I guarantee that's how the audience was feeling in like real time during like Dark Willow. The whole time they're just thinking like, how did we get here? And like uh, it makes sense. I'm not saying that like her her Dark Willow arc doesn't make sense because we've talked several times about how that's very consistent. Um, 
But like we all think that we're just like, oh, like this is the same like Willow. Like you just kind of forget like where you came from. And I love that they brought somebody back who went through a lot of the hardships and the earlier seasons with them, kind of in the sidelines, but he pops in and a lot of mm-hmm. like, he's kind of like shoved into a lot of dark things that mm-hmm. happened in the first few seasons. Yep. And he knew Willow. And so for him to kind of like be like us going along with them in the first three seasons to be like, this is Willow. I yeah. Know, it's very sad. No, line. I agree. And I mean, we see Jonathan bullied more even than Willow at this point. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm sure Willow's been bullied a lot up until this point, specifically by Cordelia. But I mean, him being bullied leads to him in earshot, you know? And I think I love that we see these little moments. I don't love that Jonathan gets bullied, but I love that there's little moments leading mm-hmm. up to season. Like we've had three seasons. Well, I guess Jonathan's not really in season one. We see the anger. Yes. Building. We see the anger building and we understand when we get to earshot why Jonathan would want to do what he's doing because of like episodes like this where his head gets shoved into a bucket of water you know um yeah and i think it's interesting too that like at the end of season six like ultimately jonathan stops himself and stops warren and andrew but willow's the one i mean willow does get consumed by grief so you know it's understandable in that sense um not justifiable but understandable Um, how Willow just kind of spirals out of control, but Jonathan's the one that kind of stops himself from even like getting to that point. And I, and I really believe the biggest influence for Jonathan is Buffy. I think at the end of the day, because he cares for Buffy and he sees that she saved him and that she actually cares for him, that he can't go through with everything that they want to do. Um, yeah. yeah. It's just interesting how similar their arcs are and you just, and it, it's weird. I always forget about this episode because I always skip it. But there's moments like that that I'm like, man, this is so good. It's laying the groundwork for later seasons, you know? That's a that's a good point, Sarah. I feel like Jonathan is the non – not non-spiritual, but non-like magic arc version of Willow. Yeah. Because like I – we always kind of not give the excuse. Some people give the ex- um, excuse what Willow did to Warren because they just hate Warren, which – I definitely tend to be one of those people. I'm like, I don't even, I don't even feel bad that you feel worn. Like, not even. No part of me feels bad about that. Um, but they kind of be like, well, well, she was engulfed in her magic. Whereas Jonathan kind of went along with a lot of things. Yeah, he did kind of speak up, and you know that certain episode in season six that I absolutely hate watching. Um, he did feel bad about it only when she said the word. And was like, this is what you're doing. And he's like, oh, crap. You know? Um, But he did a lot of human things without magic. And Willow did a lot of those similar things in metaphors um, with magic. And so they they kind of mirror each other. Just maybe a little bit more so, quote, unquote, justifiable. Or uh, I should say, like, redeemable. Yeah. On Willow's yeah. end because she has magic. Yeah. Which is a hard topic to talk about because it's like, oof, like where do we as people who discuss the metaphors and like the underlining stuff like kind of find the line yeah, between both those absolutely. things? Because like I – I it's a, it's a definitely a, an important topic to talk about because I think a lot of people who aren't aware and or don't think too much about the metaphors can kind of look over a lot of stuff and kind of can see Tara as being a little bit too dramatic about stuff that happened season six. But it's like if you look at the text and you look at how they were running the show, you see these things as what they really are, which makes you kind of look at Jonathan and, you know, Willow 
and like the same spectrum in my mind. Yeah, I mean, too, knowing what Glory did to Tara, and I was kind of going to talk about that next. I mean, when Willow does that spell on Tabula Rasa, where she's trying to change things that uh, Tara and everybody else forgets what she did, and then even when she changed mm-hmm. um, in a – Oh, I forget what episodes. Oh, once more with feeling when she has Tara under that spell as well. It's very, very similar to Superstar where Jonathan has changed everybody's mm-hmm. reality. Like it's a very, very similar mm-hmm. spell. And I think it's just interesting to see the parallels between Jonathan and Willow throughout the series, you know? But at the end of the day, yeah. Willow has Buffy. She can fall on Jonathan, doesn't have anybody, which is why it makes sense that he falls in with Warren and Andrew. He's a good guy who just wants friends. Yep. Yeah. He's a very tragic character. I it it kind of it, it guts is. me every time you see his death in season seven because I just I always wanted I him to be that at the end. makes me sad. Yeah, I always wanted to see him at the end with everybody, you know. But that's also why. It's so but also, sad. his last sentence makes me so sad because he finally got to a place where he was like, you know, all those people who bullied me, I wish them the best, and I want to like, yeah. you know. Be there for them, and then it gets killed. Yep. It just makes me sad. Yeah, it is sad. All right, so moving into even like more uncomfortable territory, let's talk about this whole scene where nobody believes Buffy or doesn't really take her seriously when she's talking to them about how, you know, she was sexually assaulted by cam and then or nearly sexually assaulted by cam and then she goes into the principal's office and or the nurse's office and both the coach cam and the principal like tell her basically it was your fault for what you were wearing and then she goes to the library and everybody's kind of like okay gosh buffy like you're being so selfish so it's frustrating to me because this stems into season six with Buffy's depression and her relationship with Spike. Maybe if her friends would have responded differently in situations like this, Buffy would have felt more freedom in coming back to them in situations when she was at her lowest point in season six or with Spike. She's taught from all the way back in season two and even season one that her pain, her feelings don't matter, that they will get brushed aside for everybody else's feelings. And so it makes so much sense why in season six, she doesn't want to tell them that she came back from heaven. Like she'd rather live with that pain. And I just, I'm so mad at myself for never seeing all these little signs leading up to that, you know? Yep. And like- as I've gotten older and rewatched the show, especially later seasons, I tend to like Xander a little bit more later on seasons. But then recently, kind of rewatching some of the scenes later on, I'm like, oh, I'm really trying not to hate him the entire seven, <laughs> seven seasons. But like at the end of scene red, and or I never, I never can say this word correctly. Entropy. Entropy. Entropy? I don't know how to say entropy. That. Entropy. Yeah. I see. I don't even know how to say that. Um, but both those episodes really frustrate me on Xander's end because it's like at the end of seeing Red, like, or even in the beginning of seeing Red, she tries to talk to him about sleeping with Spike and he gets like really mad at her and like says that she, her, you know, whatever. And then at the end, he's like, oh, like, like, I understand why you wouldn't tell me because I've only ever given you like reasons to think that I'd be such an ass about mm-hmm. it. And it's like, okay. You're saying this now, after, and even in episodes like I can't even say th- what's the word again? entropy, <laughs> entropy. Yeah, um, he gets like all mad that like she's sleeping with Spike, and I'm like, dude, you're not 
in a relationship with Buffy. Maybe ask her why. Like, I don't know. It's very like, he just seems like very much season two Xander in that episode. And I'm just like, you guys are making it seem like she can't even come to you. Can't even, like if she ever screwed up like she did in season six with Spike, it's like being a good friend is being there for somebody if they have to come and talk to you about something horrible. Yes, not like telling them like, oh, it's okay, whatever you do is fine. You can still be like, hey, like what you're doing isn't okay, but I'm going to try and understand why you've gotten here and help you through it. And they don't do that in season six. They don't have that environment where she can do that. To be fair, entropy happens before seeing Red. And I, I personally see Xander's character growth happens from seeing red on like i i see him like mature a lot more take responsibility and start to like recognize that he's part of the problem um and i feel like he becomes like a much more mature character from there on but i understand what you're saying tabs i think that buffy so often prioritizes everyone's feelings and emotions and i think that the group kind of becomes accustomed Mm -hmm. to that and so when buffy does show her feelings and does kind of prioritize her own well-being and stuff, I think that people aren't used to it and they just kind of assume that Buffy's strong enough to handle it. And they just kind of don't take her seriously because they're like, oh, it's Buffy. She's always okay. And it's just like, dude, like the amount of times Buffy like puts everything aside for her friends and their emotions and their problems and all this stuff. And then like the amount of times that she needs her friends to do that for her and they don't, it's like, Honestly, just so frustrating. Yeah. I saw someone talk about how in seeing Red when Xander is the one that finds Buffy after everything with Spike, how, you know, his response is to get angry and leave the room to go like find Spike. When in actuality, what he needed to do in that moment was be with Buffy and be like, are you okay? Like go and sit next to her, give her a hug if if she's comfortable with that, or at least just like sit with her, find out if she needs help. And um, I think that kind of goes along with our biggest gripe with the show. What Tabby and I have talked about is how the show is willing to tackle big themes, but it doesn't always see them out and like doesn't always talk about it. Like, hey, we've talked about the negative aspect of it. Let's talk about the healing and like, let's go from there. Um. And so I think that it's just kind of another missed opportunity of like, okay. And again, with Xander, it's always, it's complicated because yeah, is he right to be angry in that moment? Yeah, absolutely. Like that is just not an okay thing for to happen. Um, but what needed to happen more than that was for him to be like, Buffy, are you okay? And him getting angry and walking away makes it seem less like he's upset on Buffy's behalf and more just upset because like, oh gosh, Spike, that vampire did it again. You know what I mean? And it turned into more of like a, I told you so slash jealousy thing than a actual concern or care for his friend. Um, And I mean, I don't want to touch on this too much, but I mean, this goes into, you know, when Cam says you like it rough to Buffy and then reaches for her, it really, really reminds me a lot of the stuff with Spike in season Mm -hmm. six, where he's constantly telling her, you like it rough, you like it this way. And I think, I don't think Buffy actually does. I think that she's just at that point grasping for any any way to feel anything that makes her feel, you know? And I don't know, it's just really sad that like, There's a very clear, like, I don't think they, well, maybe they did intentionally mean it, but there should be a very clear comparison between, like, the guy who's trying to sexually assault Buffy in this episode saying, you like it rough in season six, Spike, toxically telling the same thing to Buffy. Like, there, 
I really wrestle sometimes with the whole, and we talked about this before, but like the depiction of Spuffy is almost romanticized sometimes in its violence when they're trying to portray it as a toxic relationship. And you have these very clear parallels, like don't make it so romanticized if it is a toxic relationship, but that's just my two cents. Yeah. I mean, I can agree with you for like season six. I think season seven, there can be moments that can be argued otherwise, but as far as season six, absolutely. Yeah. And I mean, I'm, I'm not talking about season seven at this point, because that's going to be yeah. a whole other conversation that I'm not ready for at this point. But season six is yeah. just toxic. For sure. All right. Let's move on to happier things. This is the last point I have. And I, I'm actually really curious about your guys' take on this. So in the entirety of Buffy, we only see the beach three times in the series. Can you guys name what those three times are? This one, Anne, and oh, 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 the one where she throws the football at Riley. <laughs> mm-hmm. Buffy versus Dracula. Yeah. Do you not remember, remember that? Remember <laughs> her being on the beach. I remember, I remember Anne on the beach because I remember her having flashbacks of Angel. Well, it's just a dream. It's not even flashbacks, but yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, not flashbacks, but like kind of imagining it or whatever. Yes. Yeah. So there um the beach is shown a couple of times on Angel the series, but I first I want to talk to you about this. Okay, so each time the beach is shown up in Buffy, it's supposed to kind of show Buffy living a normal life or doing something that is normal. In this episode, Buffy's at the beach, but she's isolating herself, most likely thinking about Angel. In Anne, Buffy's isolating herself in LA dreaming and thinking about Angel. Um, And then in Buffy versus Dracula, the gang is all at the beach hanging out with Riley, which is an extra attempt to show how normal Riley is. Um, And I also want to point out too, in the Anne one, when Buffy is dreaming about Angel, he's in the full sunlight, which is her reminiscing or reminiscing about their relationship, but also dreaming about a time that can never happen about when Angel's human or if he was human and if they could have a normal life. Um, So there are two particular moments on the beach in Angel the series that I also want to mention. So when Buffy sends back the ring with Oz that makes Angel able to be in the sun, he happens to be at the beach when he puts it on. And we have that beautiful shot of him standing in the sun at the beach, basking in that brief moment of what Mm. it feels like to be human, which I think is really interesting. So pretty. The second one is, I will remember you. I was about to say, I was like, honorable map. I was, yep, I was yep. literally waiting for you to be done so I could say honorable mention would be, I yes. will remember you. Yes, Because she's standing on a pier. At the beach. And Angel comes mm-hmm. out. And for her dream from season three, Anne, is that they would be kissing in the sunlight mm-hmm. at the beach. Oh, yeah. that's so sad. And, and that's, someone who can take her into the sun. And yeah. then he did take her into the sun. Yep. Starts crying again. I that's know. That's the only time Leah cried. And like uh, the whole show, Actually, well, no, twice. she cried. Hey, dogs. She Close cried at me. the end of An- at the end of Angel. Um, it was the end of the girl okay, in question because she thought Buffy would show up. Why? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's because I was just so frustrated. Like I'm not trying to bag on Angel or anything, <laughs> but it's just like watching Angel was so infuriating to me because it just was like I just was always left like wanting more, and then it was like. When Buffy didn't show up in season five and then like at the end of the show when like 
literally like everyone dies and stuff. I just was like, I watched this whole show just for this. Like I was so mad. <laughs> I just was like, ugh. What they is didn't the die. Point? Even well, even the characters like both um uh, James Marsters and David Boreanaz have both said that they think that both of the characters survived the, the apocalypse. Yeah, but Fred um, and Wesley died. <sighs> yeah, for sure. And Gun, Gun says definitely it's so funny died. in the interview. Gun, Gun looked at him. He was like, "Yeah, well, I think I died." <laughs> He's like, "I was bleeding." Yeah, out. Gun definitely died. Gun really was not the person that I thought was going to make it to the end. <laughs> um, he, no. he went out trying. No, but back back to what I was saying before, <laughs> before Leah so rudely derailed me. No, um, the, mo- <laughs> the moment ru- Tommy brought me in. <laughs> the moment Buffy realizes Angel's human and she walks alongside the beach in the sunlight, and Angel shows up and kisses her. That it all is symbolic of Buffy's desire for a real normal life and how that's often once again synonymous with Angel. Angel is Buffy's happy ending. It's her happy ending. It's her symbolic moment or it's symbolic of her wanting a real normal life. And so when there, when you marry those two with the beach and with Angel and stuff, it's like everything she's ever wanted all at once happening. Like he makes her feel like a real girl and he's, you know, also human. Well, you know, it's so weird too. It's like every time I've seen like Buffy first Dracula, that scene always makes me so uncomfortable because I'm like, this does not feel like a Buffy episode because it doesn't feel like a Buffy, first of all, never has fully happy moments like ever without a cost. (laughs) So like seeing her on the beach all happy and having a normal like evening, I'm like, what the F am I watching? This is not Buffy the Vampire Slayer. But that totally makes sense that it's like every time we see a beach, it either feels out of place because that's what she wants and she doesn't have a normal life. Or it's like a moment where she does have something that's normal and that gets taken away. So it's just funny. It feels very odd to see them on the beach. Well, it's showing that Buffy's trying to find that normal life with Riley. And then what happens, you have, you know, the the rain that suddenly pours down because Dracula's coming or because of Willow's magic. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because Riley's a loser. <laughs> it's totally <laughs> foreshadowing. Yes, that's the metaphor for the rain. Yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> but it's showing that – Sorry, that was a little uncalled for. It's okay. Never apologize for your passion, <laughs> Leah. We appreciate you. But especially you know. towards Riley. <laughs> anyway, some of it is unwarranted. <laughs> we'll see. We'll get there. But anyway, I just think that's really cool how like Riley's a poor replacement for Angel. Actually, every relationship Buffy has, she's just trying to recreate mm. what she had with Angel, and it's just not going to happen. You know. Amen. You know what I just realized <laughs> right now. What? A lot of the episodes that I just like really dread to do spoiler sections for because I have like nothing to talk about, I always end up liking more only because rather than having to sit here and talk about a lot of the stuff that's happening in the episode, we can kind of talk about like, oh, we noticed this and then spend more time fleshing that out. Because mm-hmm. uh, I'd never talked, I never like thought about the possibility of like the mirroring between Jonathan and and willow until we could talk about it in this episode mm-hmm. um so it's just i feel like that's happened for a few other episodes where i'm like i have nothing to talk about in the spoiler section but then it lends to us being like able to talk about like some deeper topics for like a longer period of time because there's less to really talk about so good work team yeah no i've actually 
some of my favorite episodes to record have been some of these standalone episodes that we haven't ever seen because I think people analyze mm-hmm. becoming part one, becoming part two. Like we're gonna, obviously going to have a lot to talk about, but we're I don't know that we're necessarily going to have anything to say that is different than what anybody else has said because I think people – love to analyze those episodes because they're great. They're fantastic. But people don't really take the time to talk about bad eggs or go fish. And so when you're able to actually like deep delve into it, there's a lot of stuff that we ourselves haven't recognized because we don't watch the episode very much. And other people haven't really figured it out either because – or like other people haven't really discovered either because they're not watching it as well. So yeah, it's actually really enjoyable to tackle some of these. But – All right. Well, I think that's everything. I definitely don't think Dawn would be in this episode. I really hope she would not be in this episode um, unless Dawn became friends with Gage, but then that just sounds really sad and I don't want to think about that. (laughs) But I think that's it. And I'm so excited because next week we are talking about becoming part one and I'm so ready. Finally. Yeah. And then we have Becoming Part 2 after that. And then don't forget, guys, on the 21st of August, um, time to be determined, but we are going to be doing our spoiler section. Having our birthday party. Having our birthday party. Woo! That's what I'm going to only refer to it as, a giant birthday party. <laughs> we can if you want to. Anyone who wants to join. We can if you want to. Come join our birthday party. <laughs> <laughs> it's still during Leo season. It's okay. It counts. <laughs> No, but the 21st, we will be doing a live spoiler section, and you guys will be able to call in and have your voices on the podcast if you want to. Um, We will have questions that we will ask you guys. If you guys have any questions, if you have anything that you specifically want to talk about, please write it down. Get ready to talk about it on the podcast. We're so excited. And yeah. Well, you guys can find us on Instagram at Becoming Buffy Podcast. You can email us becomingbuffypodcast at gmail.com. You can find us on Tumblr. And yeah, let us know what you guys think of this episode, Go Fish. Tell us if you guys have thought about the parallels between Jonathan and Willow. Definitely tell us about what we think about what the beach symbolizes with Angel and Buffy. We want to hear from you guys. As always, guys, we will talk to you next week.